listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the Oz Network for a happy but sad day. Happy because it's Renee Russo month still. Yay! Sad because it's the last episode of Renee Russo month. Boo! And I don't know why I'm apparently starting an engine as I talk today. Renee Russo month! Start the whole month again, that should be our thing. But we are here to talk about an iconic movie that is not written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, Ben Waterworth. It is Get Shorty from 1995, (laughs) a movie that apparently I have been missing out on because apparently out of everyone I know in life, I'm the only one who has never seen this until now. And I'm looking forward to talking about this because Colin specifically told me that I have to host this because he likes this movie so much. This episode probably would have gone for about 20 hours if he had hosted it. So we'll see if we can keep it to like 19 or something like that because I've got to go to Mallory's brother's birthday dinner tonight so I can't be recording for too long. My name is Ben, also known as the crippled gay guy who climbed Mount Whitney. And my name is Colin, and I'm really glad you rejected me 10 years ago when I auditioned for the part of Eddie Solomon, the pedophile clown in Birthday Boy. Well, you know, as Danny DeVito says in this movie, you could have been typecast, Colin. Um, But having said that, (laughs) if I played it, then maybe it would be different. I don't know. Um, Get shorty, Colin. This is a movie that you like. Yes. Um, I'm going to let you start with your history and this movie and everything else because mine's really quick. Um, So I want to get yours out of the way. (laughs) Yours is a disgrace. Let's just say it for what it is. Um. Mine, I uh, I think like most people, you know, from our generation, uh, my exposure to John Travolta was not Saturday Night Fever or Grease. It was Look Who's Talking. And uh, I pretty much only knew him as the Look Who's Talking guy. And I, I remember having seen Pulp Fiction first. Uh, I probably had seen Pulp Fiction by the time this movie was even out and released and loved it. And suddenly became like, oh, this guy John Travolta is like the greatest actor ever. And just wanted to see Get Shorty so bad. But again, like Pulp Fiction was R-rated, so I had to wait like a year or whatever (laughs) before I could see it. So I probably had even seen Broken Arrow by the time I got around to eventually seeing Get Shorty. But it was just one of these movies, as soon as I saw it, I I just immediately wanted to watch it again and again and again. And this is one of these movies that I you know, know by heart. I've seen it a million times. I barely feel the need to take any notes while... Doing this uh, this rewatch here because I just I know the movie inside and out. I, I read the book. They made a book of this. Ben. A what? <laughs> they made a book. They made a book of this before the movie. <laughs> Not a prequel, but <laughs> a book that came out before the movie. Uh, and I even love the sequel, which a lot of people criticize. I feel like unfairly criticize. It's not to the level of Get Shorty, but it's great. And uh, I think. Pulp Fiction, you know, really it, that that made my top 50 movies list. I don't know how I missed Get Shorty on there, too. But uh, between those two movies, basically anything John Travolta did in the late 90s, like I was there opening day. Like I was obsessed with anything John Travolta. And I, I still don't think that there's ever been a comeback, comeback like that in the history of Hollywood. Goes from being the number one box office draw for several years in the 70s and then nearly 20 years later completely revives his career, actually achieves more success in his 40s than he ever had in his 20s. If, if anybody from the 70s would have even thought well, that was possible. Uh, but, you know, you go from Pulp Fiction to Get Shorty and then you get Broken Arrow and Face Off and Civil Action and General's Daughter. I mean, every time a John Travolta movie came out, it was like an event for me. 
I saw this movie for the first time last night, and that's it. Um, Disgraceful! <laughs> I don't. I, I really don't know why I'd never seen this movie, and I think I mentioned it last week. Like, I, I legitimately thought this was a Quentin Tarantino movie for so long. Like, I really thought it was, and it was also like one of these movies I feel that kind of has more of a a cult following. That like it's you know. Uh, uh um yeah a Quentin Tarantino movie a um why have I gone blank on that guy's name um oh god the Barry the, Sonnenfeld the director no 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 yes that guy haha ha. um no Kevin Smith it's like Kevin Smith's movies like you know like he's got their yeah. fans like people just he has that following um and I just kind of felt like this was one of those movies that kind of you know you're in that kind of cool crowd if you like get shorty and I'm not saying that's the bad thing it's just it was one of those movies that it was just like oh I hear a lot about it but I've never seen it so I don't know. Like, again, a lot of my movies at this age, I would have been eight when this movie came out, would have been based on my dad. And I, I don't even know if my dad likes this movie. I don't know if I've ever had a conversation. Hey, Dad, what do you think about Get Shorty? So maybe I'll find out and we can answer that next week when we don't have an episode. I don't know. Let's get him on the call. Right oh, now. now. Stephen Waterworth. It is 6.40 a.m. on a Monday. He's probably going <laughs> to yell at me, basically. But um, I, I enjoyed this movie. I like. I This is another one of those movies that I went in with no expectations. I didn't watch the trailer beforehand. I don't even think I read what it's about. I think that Mallory was like, oh, what movie are you watching? I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch Get Shorty. Oh, what's it about? I'm like, uh, John Travolta. I think he's a mobster. Um, that's about all I know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's basically how I went into this movie. But no, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I don't know if I love it as much as you do. I've only seen it once. Maybe I need to watch it 300 times. But I like John Travolta. I like Rene Russo. Clearly, we're here to talk about Rene Russo month. Um, I like Danny DeVito. I like Gene Hackman. I like Martin Ferrero. I like the other guy Del from Roy Jurassic Lindo. Park who's in this. Um... What was that? Don't forget Delroy Lindo. Like, Delroy Lindo. Uh, yes, I was going to look him up because he's off something, isn't he? What is he off? Oh, everything. I, well, he was in Ransom and Broken Arrow, so he followed this up with a Rene Russo movie and a John Travolta movie. But he's been in, like, you know, tons of great movies. He's, he's one of these actors that you just keep waiting. He, you know that one of these days he's going to get his big break. He's this actor who's been around forever, you know, had major roles in all these movies. He did a lot of like action movies and stuff like that in the the 90s. But uh, just recently, it it sounds like he's finally got his big critical break because the new Spike uh, Lee movie, Defy Bloods, uh, which is like a war movie, uh, Delroy Lindo is getting incredible reviews for that and is pretty much the star. So I'm hopeful this is the year of Delroy Lindo. He's definitely someone, yeah, you're right, like he's been in lots of things, but every little thing I'm looking at here nothing stands out. Like, you know, when you generally see an actor, you're like, oh, they're from something. And then as soon as you see it, you're like, oh, that's who they are. I know them from that. And the mm-hmm. only two on this list that I'm thinking I would know, and these are movies that I've definitely seen, but don't watch that much to straight away recognize them from that movie, is Gone in 60 Seconds or The Core. So I'm guessing it yes. was one of them that I know him from, because even looking at his TV roles, um, oh, The Chicago Code. Never mind. He was the guy trying to be the mayor. Never mind. Okay, yep. Now I know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> literally a TV show that I skimmed over. But seriously, <laughs> Chicago Code, we've talked about that on before because it had What's-His-Face in it, uh, the Aussie guy, Jason, whatever his face is. Um, Clark. Thank you, yes, Jason Clark, um, who's another great actor who should be more famous than he is because he always gets shit projects. Anyway, not the point. Um, I like the mullet, apparently, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, no, Delroy Lindo is I- fantastic. <laughs> 
I, I wanted to comment, you know, you said the, the Quentin Tarantino thing. And I think when we go through the reviews, I don't know if we'll go through all of them, but a lot of the reviews at the time were saying this is a great movie, but it's trying to be Quentin Tarantino, which actually I, I think is a revised opinion most people have nowadays. You know, this movie comes out a year after Pulp Fiction. Uh, John Travolta is cast in it literally right after the release of Pulp Fiction, even though apparently they had been talking to him before Pulp Fiction came out. You know, they had him in mind having not even seen Pulp Fiction. But the the concept that people had in 1995 of this being a ripoff of Pulp Fiction, even though it isn't really, comes down more to the fact that Quentin Tarantino himself admits that his writing style was a ripoff of Elmore Leonard, the author of Get Shorty, yeah. so much so that he follows up. Pulp Fiction, his next movie is Jackie Brown based on another novel from Elmore Leonard. So Quentin Tarantino himself has basically said, yeah, I rip off Elmore Leonard and then this movie comes out based on Elmore Leonard's novel and people at the time sort of, even though everybody enjoyed it, were like, well, you know, I think they're definitely trying to rip off Tarantino a bit, but it was actually the opposite. And I guess it's that period too when, you know, Quentin Tarantino, Pulp Fiction, massive movie. And of course, whenever you get movies in subsequent years that follow a big movie, they're always accused of copying another movie. So of course, I guess in 1995, yeah. Pulp Fiction is still very fresh on everyone's minds. Um, but, I mean, this this does has a very Tarantino feel to it, and that makes sense now, that the way you, you explain it. But I am surprised looking at Barry Sonnefeld's uh, esteemed filmography, <laughs> um, you know, because I would have assumed that maybe he's in Quentin Tarantino territory, that, you know, maybe he's got, like, some of these strong cultish films that have a big fan base. Just for those at home right now who are unaware of what he has directed, let's go through the list here. Uh, before Get Shorty... The Adams Family and Adams Family Values. Not hated movies. Uh, I don't think they're completely beloved movies, though, either. I think they've got their fans. Um, a Michael J. Fox movie called For Love or Money. I'm sure you've seen it. I've never seen oh, that. Oh, great movie. Okay. I have. <laughs> right. Anything with Michael J. Fox in is going to be great. Followed Get Shorty Up with a massive hit, Men in Black. Great movie. Fantastic. So he's on a roll, Barry, in uh, 1995 and 1997. Followed by... and. I want to do this movie in Bad Movie Month just so we can defend the shit out of it because this is not a yeah. bad movie, all right? Everyone who says this mm -hmm. is a bad movie, go away. Wild Wild West is a great movie. And that was his follow-up. And did that really destroy his career? Because he did, did Big Trouble, Men in Black 2, arguably the weakest of the Men in Black trilogy, RV, yeah, I'm sure we can't wait to cover that one, uh, Men in Black 3, which is better than people say it is, and Nine Lives, which looks like it's a movie about a cat, and it has Kevin Spacey in it. So... <laughs> <laughs> and Jennifer Garner. Oh, okay, well, you know. Uh, and Christopher Walken, too. Well, it's good then, clearly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, is Barry Sonnefeld someone who got destroyed after Wild Wild West? Because I feel that, like, pre-Wild Wild West, decent. Post-Wild Wild West, one movie out of, like, five was good. Uh, you know, I, I think it has more to do with the fact that Barry Sonnenfeld's style was very, like, even the Men in Black movies are very similar to the Addams Family. You know, if you've ever seen the Addams Family movies, he, he has a very distinctive, uh, very comic booky um style to it that that is very distinctive Barry Sonnenfeld. And, you know, he does a movie like Get Shorty, which still has a little bit of that, but it's a completely different type of movie. Uh, so when he gets Wild Wild West, a movie that really, you know, is, I guess, trying to rip off Men in Black and it didn't click, he tried to counter that by going back to the Get Shorty style with Big Trouble, which another Rene Russo movie. Basically, Get Shorty 
with Tim Allen in the John Travolta role, uh, <laughs> which I actually really like Big Trouble. That would be a fun one to cover if we do Rene Russo month part two next next year or whatever. But uh, uh, I, I feel like he he had this style like Adam's Family, Men in Black. And as soon as he had a flop with Wild Wild West, he goes back to doing his character stuff like for love or money, like get shorty. And then that flopped. And then that pretty much destroyed him. And it's, he's a guy with two different styles of films. And he just reached a point where neither of them were working and just, I don't know, maybe nobody gave him a chance or maybe he was just sort of a, a two or three hit wonder. And he made a cat movie. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, it, it, like, he, and what's crazy is he passed on doing the sequel to get shorty and did RV instead, you know? <laughs> wow. There's a bad move. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. Um, it's actually interesting to see here, though. Like, as a producer, he was a producer on the Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. And then when they did the Netflix reboot, he directed and was executive producer on all the episodes and then went on to be nominated for an Emmy. So um, interesting there that he kind of had that. But it's, it's interesting you say he's got those two styles because... You know, if you say Big Trouble and Get Shorty, you know, similar films. Obviously, Men in Black and Wild Wild West are very similar films. They're not just because Will Smith's in them. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's why I think Wild Wild West gets unfairly treated for some reason. Because it's like, dude, this is basically Men in Black, but in the Old West. Um, yeah. It's basically the same. So why do you hate on it? And I would arguably say the Will Smith rap at the end is better than the first one. Wild Wild West by Will Smith maybe a better song than the original Men in Black by Will oh, Smith. Controversial opinion. Absolutely. Oh, you agree with me, though? Not for me. Okay. I, I would honestly rank the Wild Wild West theme song from that movie maybe my top 10 favorite songs of all time. Like, wow. that's how much I love Wild Wild West. Okay. So much so that when I listen to the song, Jamie says, not this song again. Please turn this off. She won't let me listen to it. When I hear the original, that the riff that they use from, I can't remember, is it a, is it a Lionel Richie or a, a Stevie, Stevie Wonder? Wonder? Yeah, Stevie Wonder, okay. Um, yeah. Every time I hear that, I'm like going, chicken wow wow, chicken wicked wow wow west, Jim West, <laughs> <No>. Desperado, Desperado, <laughs> God, you know, like rather than actually. No, you know what, no, no. Another controversial Will Smith rapper opinion because this is what we do on the Oz Network we have controversial opinions on Will Smith's music is uh, Nod Your Head Black Suits Coming from Men in Black 2 yes. better song than Men in Black and Men in Black is a great song oh, I'm not saying it's a bad but not a, yeah and seriously Men in Black 3 Pitbull is not Will Smith Will Smith why did you not rap on the third one yeah. okay like come yeah. on just biggest disappointment but we had to talk about Get Shorty Men in Black Month coming soon apparently <laughs> to the Oz Network um, but I, I feel like we need to have a little talk about Renee because we are here to celebrate Renee Russo. And for some reason, I feel we come out of each of these episodes not talking about her as much as we should. Um, where does this rank, do you feel, on the acclaim of Renee? Like, where where is she in 95? Outbreak had been here around there, hadn't it? Was it the same year? Was it 95? Yeah. Um, you know, Free Jack a couple of years This beforehand. is her year. So this this is the year, right? Yeah. This is the Renee year, the Renaissance. right there it is that's the reaction i wanted oh can can we just make that a t-shirt now the renaissance i want you to get like the statue of david or the what's the the female one the uh the venus de milo like put renee's face on it with the hair sweeping and there's that isn't it like a guy like going like the beauty the wonder like with renee russo there it is the renaissance Okay, we'll we'll make that happen. We should we should tell people too, though, that uh, we do have a T-shirt store that is now active. We've been talking about this for a long time. Yes, and there are four Rene Russo themed shirts in there. Um, they are all done. Four shirts. They're all done in the style of like you know a campaign poster. 
Yeah, I think we talked about this. So there's like Russo Estevez 92. There's Russo Travolta 95. Russo Brosnan 99. And Russo Murphy slash De Niro 2002. Uh, so if you ever wanted, and, and by the way, if you go to tpublic.com slash OZN or OZN, uh, you can see all of our t-shirt designs. Uh, and I believe this is the only Rene Russo shirt that is searchable on TeePublic. So wow. we are revolutionizing Rene Russo apparel here. Rene Russo network. fans on Instagram. There you go. We've got we've got some um you know buy a t-shirt we make like a dollar don't we so go us yeah you know you help support the show that supports Renee Russo one dollar uh, and the Renaissance one dollar <laughs> goes a long way to supporting <laughs> okay. my meth addiction like, I really I hope one of us can design that shirt I really want that Renaissance but, uh, yeah so I mean she she'd had you know a couple of big movies there with Lethal Weapon in the in the line of fire obviously. Uh, but outbreaking get shorty was like this is her as a leading woman, and then she follows this up with another huge year with Tin Cup and Ransom. So I think we said this maybe all the way back when we did the outbreak episode outside of Renee Russo month that uh, you know ninety five ninety six like it, it, everything she did turned to gold. Now people are going to say okay well outbreak was not a hit just because Renee Russo get shorty was not a hit just because Renee Russo Tin Cup wasn't Ransom wasn't. But I'm seeing a pattern here. So, yes, 95, 96, the Renaissance. Renaissance, yes. Another actor I want to uh, point out who I sadly didn't actually know was no longer with us. It makes me sad. Dennis Farina. Now, I just want to point out, oh, yeah. as such a fan of Eddie, can I just say that Dennis Farina is the New York <laughs> Knicks coach that gets fired and replaced by Whoopi Goldberg. And then he goes on to coach, I think, the Charlotte Hornets, or he definitely goes on to coach another team in the NBA. But he kind of plays a very similar character in Eddie, So, except he's not really a mobster and doesn't oh. shoot people. But uh, the point is, Dennis Farina, you're talking about a renaissance. Dennis Farina was hot as the jerk asshole character in the mid-'90s. Go, Dennis Farina. Yes. Uh, I, I really am glad you're giving a shout out to Dennis Farina for uh, a few reasons. Uh, one, Unsolved Mysteries, which made my top 10. We talked about that when we did the airplane recap. You know, yeah. uh, Robert Stack, the host of Unsolved Mysteries. Robert Stack died and they sort of rebooted the show, not with new episodes, but they basically had Dennis Farina as a new host and then they re-edited old stories. And he ran for like five or six years as the second host of Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, so, I mean, I know him from that, but even outside of Get Shorty, I mean, he's another one, like you said, not necessarily Eddie, but he's been in so many other things. Uh, I think for me, the other really big one was Out of Sight, mm. uh, where he pay, plays, uh, I think he played Jennifer Lopez's dad in that movie. Uh, but Out of Sight, also based on a novel from Elmore Leonard, also produced by um, or directed by Steven Soderbergh, of course, but produced by Barry Sonnenfeld. And uh, even uh, spawned its own spinoff show, Karen Sisko, that Barry Sonnefeld went back to direct. So, uh, yeah, yeah, he he is Elmore Leonard's guy. And it's hard for me to say this because I think everybody in this movie is a scene stealer, but he may be the big scene stealer of this movie. And this isn't a movie where you've got Delroy Lindo killing it in every scene, Gene Hackman killing it in every scene, Rene Russo, uh, Martin Ferreira. Like, everybody in this movie is just amazing. But maybe Dennis Farina is above all of them. And then there's Bette Midler. She's in this movie too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> didn't realize Bette That's Midler weird. was yeah. in this movie. And all of a sudden I was like, fuck, it's Bette Midler. There she is. Uh, <laughs> good, to, good to see you, Well, no, interesting Bette. you say that because if we're... If we're going back to 1995, I mean, I think that's the big difference. I remember the trailers for this movie, at least. 
it was heavily promoted as John Travolta, Rene Russo, Gene Hackman, Danny DeVito, and Bette Midler. Like, in 1995, that was a big deal that Bette Midler was in this movie. Now that we're, what, 25 years, you know, from get removed from Get Shorty, it really is. You watch the movie and you're like, oh, Bette Midler's in this? Which, but it was it was just sort of a cheap cameo. She's someone who is like one of these people now that I think a lot of um, people of a certain generation think she's just, oh, she's that crazy old lady on Twitter because she's like very outspoken mm-hmm. on Twitter. And was it, I'm pretty sure it was her, was it the Oscars this year or last year where um, she presented an award and I'm like, damn, she looks good. Was it her or Barbara Streisand? I always get those two confused. Um, but <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but <laughs> anyway, one of them came out and they're like, they're in Barbara Streisand have got to be, what, in their 80s, right? Like, they're obviously 74. Quite... 74, okay. 74. Sorry, Bet. 74. But uh, looked incredible. So, plastic surgery does work. There you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> John Travolta's had plastic surgery too. I'm an equal opportunist plastic surgeon person. Don't speak bad about John Travolta. His wife just died. So, let's just be careful about yes. what we say in this episode. In all seriousness, that actually was quite sad. I didn't realise that uh, Kelly Preston wasn't well. So, um, yeah. Thoughts with John Travolta? Because I'm sure he's listening to this episode right now. Uh, Jan's ga- James Gandolfini. He's, <laughs> he's buying. <laughs> I was, he's buying the Russo Travolta 95 shirt. <laughs> uh, what would you do if randomly, like, on social media, you see, like, John Travolta wearing one of our shirts? What would you do? Oh, I I would send him another one. <laughs> send me back the one you're wearing because I want the shirt that I designed that's been on the body of John Travolta in my possession. I want to smell it. I want to smell Travolta's sweat. <laughs> Manliness bottle. I'm sure Jamie wouldn't mind that. <laughs> Eau de Travolta, the new fragrance for men. Um, it's going to be Jamie's new case is yeah. what it will become. <laughs> James Gandolfini is well in this one. Like, obviously renowned for The Sopranos. And this is, what, five years before The Sopranos, four years before The Sopranos, so not really a, a name actor. I don't know if this is a role that got him noticed when... I don't know any history about The Sopranos. I, I've actually sadly never watched it. It's on the to-watch list. But, um, yeah, I mean, with a ponytail as well. So go Jans Gan- Delphine. I can't even speak properly apparently now, but... Uh, there you go. And da- have we done a Danny DeVito movie yet? I feel like we haven't done a Danny v- DeVito. I like Danny DeVito. No, I mean, we talked about him so much in the Kindergarten Cop movie just because, you know, the association with Schwarzenegger with twins and junior. But, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we got it. We're going to have twins and junior eventually. I mean, we're going to get through Schwarzenegger's whole filmography. But, I mean, who doesn't love Danny DeVito? And Danny DeVito is primarily the reason this movie exists. He produced this movie. He bought the rights for this movie. And, you know, he's not just a producer on this movie. This was his project. He said, I want to make the movie about Get Shorty. And, you know, inserted himself in the movie. And I think he has two scenes in this movie, maybe three if you include a scene at the end, which I think is two scenes more than the character in the book had. The book, the book, the character was just sort of talked about. And then he had the one scene where they meet with him the first time. Uh, But, you know, he found a way to even come back in the sequel as only the only other returning actor in Be Cool other than John Travolta. And I do appreciate how he then gets front and center in the poster. Um, that, you know, yeah. he still manages that. And this might be the but, most... But let's think about... I, I was just going to say, let's let's think about this in terms of 1995. Yeah, Travolta's coming off of Pulp Fiction, but 
he's unproven as a box office draw. Pulp Fiction was a hit, but not because John Travolta. So nobody knew he was going to be a star. Rene Russo still unproven as a box office draw. Gene Hackman, big star, but not box office draw. Danny DeVito, he had had some of the biggest movies, you know, uh, of the last, I guess, let's say 10 years at this point. So Danny DeVito probably in 1995 was the box office draw in this movie. And yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a good point. But it's the most serious I think I've ever seen Danny DeVito in a movie. I don't know if I've ever seen him like so just straight and not crazy. Like Danny DeVito's always like got a crazy quirk or something to his character. I don't know. So uh, I like Danny DeVito. And, and if you don't, go get yourself to a doctor immediately and say that, hey, doctor, I don't like Danny DeVito. Fix me because there's something wrong with you. <laughs> fix me <laughs> fix me i don't like danny devito what um they just kick you out <laughs> straight away but uh i am gonna try to recap this movie now i get the plot but there's also like it's 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 a i feel this is a movie you need to watch to kind of get like <laughs> does that make sense why are you laughing at what me what is the post I feel this is a movie you have to watch to get, as opposed to the movies that you don't watch and you're... I get that movie. You know what? Never saw it, but I get it. Hang on. Just wait a minute, Mr. Judgmental, right? Like, think about it. I don't know if you... I've said many a times my favourite movies are movies that you go into without having to think too much, like Snakes on a Plane, right? What's that movie about, Colin? Snakes on a Plane. That's all you need to know. But you didn't say, I feel like this is a movie you have to really pay attention to to get. You said, I feel like this is a movie you have to watch to get. (laughs) You need to be viewing this movie. You won't get it from the back cover of the DVD. You won't get it from the trailer. You need to watch the whole movie. Let Undercover understood what I meant. All right. Just... He knew what I meant. He will in eight months. He will. He's messaging. <laughs> he's messaging us about the, the holiday special from Star Wars. When did we do that? Like <laughs> twenty years ago. Two thousand seventeen. <laughs> Dude, you're so funny. Like what? What did I like? He literally quoted us again. Like I'm like, well, I don't. What did I say? <laughs> I, I put these in the back of my mind after I, I finished. I, even... I just cut it out like, oh yeah, get shorty, sure. And, and in, literally in a month, I'll be like, oh, did we do a, did we do an episode and get shorty? I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, nobody, nobody really understands. Nobody understands unless you are podcasting what a podcaster really deals with. <laughs> you have to be on the podcast to get it. Uh, but but seriously, I've heard this from other podcast hosts and everything too. They'll say, you know what? You'll you'll do an episode and you're like that was great and you can you know do a write up and all that and and know everything about the episode. But if somebody quotes you on it two weeks later, you're like, what did I say? <laughs> it's just gone. Which I have to say, uh, it, you know, this is a, a side note, but not a side note because I guess we exist because we used to be Survivoros. I've actually been getting a few messages recently from people asking us what happened to our Survivoros episodes, and I realise those people are not listening to this episode because they only care about Survivor. But um, we changed servers, so we had to remove them. Long story short, they will be coming back in some capacity. Stay tuned. But it's fascinating because through that, in some of the messages, they'll be like, "Oh." Yeah, I just listened to your Salmon Del Sur Ozcap. And remember that bit when you said that thing to Noah and then Colin chimed in? Oh, it was so funny. And I'm like, yep. Was I racist or something? Like, I don't know. Was Noah racist? <laughs> like, I don't know. I probably said something that I shouldn't have. And somebody's going to dig it up in a couple of years and we're going to get fired somehow because we've said something. Well, I've said it. You <laughs> haven't said anything bad, Colin. It's, it's going to be more like 
you're struggling to remember what season San Juan del Sur was, not <laughs> what did I say on a San Juan del Sur episode. There was a season called San Juan del Sur. Hang on a minute, what? Um, <laughs> so the the backtrack, my point is, <laughs> like if we were doing a Tarantino movie, there's a lot going on, right? And it kind of all yeah. sort of comes together at the end. Even though I will say there are some moments in this movie that I feel are a bit plot holeish and kind of just come and go, and are like, huh, what? What was the point of that? But ugh, so here Blast we go. Me. Colin straight away giving me the. <laughs> what is that noise? Sounds like a cat. I sat up. through five hours of Titanic with you, and you wouldn't admit any of the problems with that movie. But it has no problems. That movie is great. Oh, shut up. The difference is I like this Talk movie. Talk about a better movie. Talk this, about Get Shorty. This movie didn't even make your top 50. Shut okay. up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Prove it because I forgot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Go watch a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, You'll understand it better. <laughs> John Travolta. We're starting the movie, people. John Travolta is having a conversation with Doctor Gennaro from Jurassic Park. They're having a smoke. <laughs> They're in Miami Beach. The first word uttered in this movie is "fuck," which is great. You know, you're in for a good old time. Um, is, uh, am I saying this? Am I going to be wrong by saying this? But is Martin Ferrero still with us or is, did he die at some point? Oh no, he's still with us. That's awkward. Sorry, I've just killed him now. Oh, I was about to, <laughs> I, I was about to say I thought he died. So I'm glad you answered. No, first. no, no. But now that I've said it, yeah, he's. You know who died? It was Muldoon. The guy who played Muldoon in Jurassic Park died. Yes. I, I knew one of them yeah. had died. So Rip, guy who played, oh, what was his name? Don something, wasn't it? No. Um, oh, he's an old moth by heart. <laughs> Don? Who's Let's Don? Remember that guy dressed Park Don? Oh. <laughs> what an actor. Don. Uh, Bob Bob Peck is who Bob. you're thinking of. Bob well, Peck. Don and Bob are both three-letter words, Don. so you can see my confusion. <laughs> So's Ben. That's very true. And I'm not dead yet. Um... <laughs> Oh, God. So, they're having dinner, and uh, they're talking about something. I didn't write down what they were talking about. Colin, you're going to fill in so many gaps in this movie for me. Uh, <laughs> um, and basically... It was literally the weather. Okay. We, we, we end up uh, meeting uh, Dennis Farina's character, Ray Bones, uh, Barboni, uh, and mm-hmm. he ends up coming over and mouthing off at John Travolta, and basically steals his jacket. I love, gotta say, like, Matt Dyson, hello, Matt. I know you're listening to this episode. Uh, thank you for your feedback on, uh, I finally did read your feedback on Free Jack. And we will do, was it none on bikes or on the run or whatever the hell it was called? Nuns on, nuns <laughs> on bikes. Nuns on the run. Nuns on bikes. What is nuns? None on a bike. Don, he's donning nuns on bikes. <laughs> what is nuns on bikes? Who is Don? There is, <laughs> there's no such thing as nuns on bikes. Another t-shirt. Nuns on bikes. And who is Don? <laughs> nuns on bikes. I, I don't even know why that's so funny. Um, the point is, Matt... <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I know you're listening to this because you, you commented on a post and was like, oh, Chili Palmer. And I literally was like, who's Chili Palmer? Because I didn't even know who Chili Palmer was. <laughs> was he in Nuns and Bikes? But in all fairness, 
in all fairness, you do have to see the movie in order to get who Chili Palmer is. So that tends to pass. <laughs> Not necessarily. I'm sure people who bought Chili in 1995 got into the cross-promotion. Um, David Palmer voters from the California presidential primary probably liked Chili Palmer. <laughs> There's an in-joke for our 24 fans. Anyway, um, the... John Travolta is amazing in this movie. He he went on to win the Golden Globe uh, for best comedy. Um, was it comedy? Or was it? It wouldn't be drama, wouldn't it? Anyway, uh, rightfully so. Uh, great performance. And how has this guy not won an Oscar? He's been nominated once or twice. John Travolta, Pulp Fiction, and Saturday Night Fever. Or did he only get one for one of them? He was nominated for both Saturday Night Fever and Pulp Fiction. Okay. I was right. Did win five, but like, sadly, like I think that there are so many Travolta movies, even since like from Get Shorty on, where you could have made an argument for him getting an Oscar nomination for. Like, yeah, I actually consider it disgraceful that he has not been nominated since then. Battlefield Earth being one of them. Um, I will yeah. <laughs> correct myself. So was it drama or was it no? It was comedy uh, or musical? It was okay. Um, I was looking at a weird thing here thinking that it was uh drama but then i realized i was looking at the year afterwards not that one so my bad the, the thing too that i find interesting is that he didn't get nominated for an oscar for this so like obviously best motion picture comedy musical comedy sorry doesn't you know guarantee you usually they look at the drama field but um you know, I mean, I, I would say I, I, I'm trying to find the 95 Oscar nominees, but my computer is hating me at the moment. But um, I would have assumed that, uh, you know, this this was an Oscar worthy, an Oscar nominated performance. Would you not say? I'm yeah, I'm going to say that, you know, let's let's take that with a grain of salt, because anything Travolta does is great for me. But like, I think you also have to look at the year this came out, you know, 1995. You got Massimo Troisi from The Postman who got nominated, which <laughs> Even though nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, the postman. But this was an actor who had died. So this was sort of, you know, after his death, there was a lot of support for it. Then you had Anthony Hopkins and Nixon, Sean Penn and Dead Man Walking, Richard Dreyfuss and Mr. Holland's Opus and Nicolas Cage for leaving Las Vegas. (laughs) So obviously a very competitive year. Um, So I I can kind of understand why they wouldn't nominate him two years back to back. But for me, I mean, I think that his performance is Chili Palmer. I mean, it's strong enough that they wrote a book that was a sequel to this they so that they could write a movie that was a sequel to this it is all about chili palmer and i think this is definitely john travolta's most fun role and there's just moments in this movie where he he does things like there's i don't i can't think of any other actor at least from this time period who had as much confidence as travolta had in this role i just want to say uh that i did not realize richard dreyfus got nominated for mr holland's opus i used to watch that movie all the time as a kid because my sister liked it great movie it, I mean, it's it's fine, but I didn't realise it was an Academy Award-nominated movie. Um, and can we just all just take this moment to remember that Nicolas Cage won an Oscar? Just, just... Yeah. <laughs> everybody just remember that Nicolas Cage won an Oscar. Uh, and Kevin Spacey won an, uh, an Oscar that year too. Two, he won two. So, oh. you know, acting different to real life. But anyway, uh, just want to also say, we're really sidetracked here, but John Travolta beat out... Michael Douglas for The American President, never seen it. Harrison Ford for Sabrina, never seen it. Steve Martin for Father of Bride 2, never seen it. And Patrick Swayze for Tu Wong Fu. <laughs> Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Yep. That's apparently a movie. Okay. Uh, it looks like a drag oh, queen I movie. I remember the movie. 
It's got Patrick yeah, Swayze, Wesley it's... Snipes in it, about three New York City drag John queens who embark on a road trip. So basically, it's Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. That's basically what it yeah. is. Yeah, it's a fun movie, but best actor nomination? I don't know. <laughs> uh, this is the Golden Globes, though, Colin. Does it really count? Um, so, uh, yes, basically, uh, a jacket is stolen. Uh, John Travolta is mad. Uh, I love kind of he just goes straight to Dennis Farina's house, just punches him in the nose, <laughs> <laughs> takes his jacket back. Uh, and then this basically kind of sets up, I guess, a, a chain of events, really, for this whole movie because... So John Travolta, his office is in a barber shop. Is that basically what it's meant to be? Like it's out the yeah. back, owned by like this old couple of guys. So Dennis Farina walks in. He's getting ready to shoot John Travolta, and then I love John Travolta just automatically knows. Now, does he deliberately miss? Is that meant to be the point, or is he just a really bad shot? No, 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 he's deliberately missing. Okay, right. Glad we can clear that up because then I love Dennis Farina when he gets shot. He's running out. Fuck, call fucking nine, fucking one, no, 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 call fucking nine, one, fucking nine, one, one. Ah! <laughs> he's so good in this movie. He's so funny. Um, he then he then shows up to this random mob boss guy with like a bandage on his head, a bandage on his nose. (laughs) Basically like, I want to take out Chili Palmer, but then we find out that no, you can't because uh, he's one of Momo's men or connected. And basically as soon as Momo's alive, we can't touch Chili Palmer. And then what do we have our next scene? We're in Brooklyn. Momo, the esteemed mob boss, dies because uh, he has a heart attack. I, l- I love the setup of this scene because you are kind of expecting him to get, like, gunned down or something like that. Like, someone yeah. put a hit on him or something like that. But he literally dies because of a heart attack because he can't walk upstairs and it's his 65th <laughs> birthday and everyone gives him a heart attack. Uh, this is the thing, too. Like, it kind of... This movie does... It, it's a very funny movie, but, it like, it, it definitely... It's one of those smart comedies, if you know what I mean, where it's kind of, it's not, you know, uh, I just looked at the Nutty Professor before. It's not Showtime, um, you know, where it's kind of clearly going for something. Like, just, just be funny! Like, get Shorty's funny without being overly funny, if that makes I'm not making sense this episode, apparently. Uh, maybe I was in Nuns on Bikes or something like that, and, you know, it, it screwed with me or something. Um <laughs> So that kind of, we've got this sort of setup between Dennis Farina and John Travolta. Um, we kind of learn about a, a guy who has done, has left with some money from an airline crash. He's scammed an airline. Is it $300,000 or $200,000 that he's scammed? Because um, mm-hmm. it was found out he didn't really die in this crash. So that's kind of the gist of why John Travolta is about to go on a little journey to try and find this guy. Um, so this guy, so he owed money previously to Dennis Farina's character or the people that Dennis Farina work for. And yeah, so in all, and he is on a plane that basically is delayed on the runway. He's nervous thinking that somebody's out to get him. So he gets off the plane, has a drink. And of course, then that plane goes on to crash. He then thinks, holy crap, I'm so lucky because everyone thinks I'm already dead now. So he then basically goes to fly to Las Vegas to spend all this extra money that he got as a payout and all that kind of fun stuff. Why doesn't the wife go with him? Is it because they just would get caught or were they not together? Yeah. 
she's trying to lay low, you right. know, so that it, it's it's not so obvious he's still alive. Okay. There you go. See, I clearly did not watch this movie. I only read the synopsis on Wikipedia. That's what I meant before, obviously. Um, so, John Travolta goes to Las Vegas. We're literally in Las Vegas for all of, like, two minutes. He sees some crime boss to find out about where this guy is. But he then mentions, oh, while you're here, could you go to L.A. and find this producer for us because he owes me money just to shake him up a little bit. And John Travolta straight away is into L.A., and then we're going to meet Gene Hackman and Renee Russo because there's a Hollywood couple for you. Uh, <laughs> has Gene Hackman ever been young? No. I swear he's always he's, old. He's perpetually been, you know, 50-something years old. Yeah. Like, this is just one of those guys that just has always looked old. Uh, you know, we talk about Tom Cruise, always looks young. Renee Russo, always looks young. Gene Hackman, always <laughs> looks old. So here he well, is. Well, he was 65 when he made this movie. Really? My goodness. Yeah. So he's like, he's nearly dead now. <laughs> he probably is dead by the time he's He's 90. <laughs> Didn't we go over this yeah. recently in the replacements? Um, yeah. But Gene Hackman gets the greatest movie scene of his life, sharing a bed with Rene Russo. And <laughs> uh, we basically, there's somebody downstairs. I did turn the TV on. Uh, I turned it off. It's like, oh, what if the dog got it? It's like, oh, no, Muffy died or something. I love Gene Hackman. He's like, what happened Muffy? to Muffy? Muffy? <laughs> <laughs> All the connections to Renee. Maybe, or maybe 1995 <laughs> was a year of Muffy. Same year as Goldeneye. So clearly yeah. Muffy was the name of 1995. Gene Hackman goes downstairs. John Travolta is watching David Letterman because that's what everyone did in 1995. And he sort of threatens him we kind of hear his sort of his shakedown i guess when he's like look at me look at me and just you know keeps telling him to look at me and just this is how good john travolta is though like he just the way he kind of like i can see why the next movie was called be cool i mean maybe don't because i'm not seeing it but i mean Mm -hmm. john travolta is just so fucking cool in this movie like he really is cool i've never seen saturday night fever i will be honest but i can imagine he's obviously incredibly cool because like a fashion trend basically started after him being in that movie. Greece. He's cool in Greece. Um, pop, mm-hmm. uh, pop fiction, pulp fiction. Uh, I would, argue, <laughs> I would argue Samuel Jackson is more cooler than John Travolta in that movie, but John Travolta's still cool. Cause he's John Travolta. Like he is kind of renowned of being cool, yeah. but like he really is in this movie. <laughs> like you just, mm-hmm. just his attitude and just these mannerisms and just the way he handles people. And it's just, I always love kind of like that subtle character who can get what they want without, you know, being like a Dennis Farina who's going to punch you straight away. I realize we've just talked about John Travolta punching someone within two seconds of walking into a door, but that's kind of the only violent thing he does in this entire movie. And he kind of shoves someone down the stairs, but you know, it's just those moments of outrage. You know what I'm talking about, but this Mm -hmm. all then leads into him threatening him to then sitting around a kitchen table discussing movies and Rene Russo going, what the hell is happening right now? You want to talk about cool. Rene Russo in this movie is cool. Like, just the way she can, like, read John Travolta straight away. Like, we've talked about her having chemistry with everyone in this month. Um, I would argue that this is up... Well, actually, I would argue this is the best by far. Uh, Maybe, you know, over Pierce Brosnan and Emilio Estevev. Great chemistry, of course, in between all those ones as well. But, um, I mean, just... It's it's instantaneous when you get Renee straight away interacting with John Travolta. Like, it just works. So, yeah. Renee Russo, incredible in this movie as well. Uh, I might sort of cap it there, just to the introduction bit. Um, You know, we've kind of... 
John Travolta's discussing a few movie plot ideas and sort of he's basically laying out the plot for this real-life situation that is actually happening right now with trying to find it, which is this is the thing that I think it's one of these movies that kind of does pay off because it, it's really giving you a bunch of stuff at the beginning and I'm literally going like, what, what, who's this person, what's this got to do with everything, like, huh, what? Um, but everything pays off. Like everything is so well connected by the end that it all makes sense. So I can definitely imagine on a mm-hmm. second viewing, this movie is a bit more enjoyable just for the fact because you know what's going on more. But um, I mean, I literally told people before that they should watch it once. And now they're going, oh, I'm going to watch a movie twice, Ben. <laughs> what is this? School? So yeah, um, I will let you talk from now. Uh, like, I think what I really love about this movie, and it's something that is, is sort of lost on people now because there are so many other movies like this, you know, and that has a lot to do with even just Elmore Leonard and Quentin Tarantino, that that whole style just becoming so popular around here, you know, out of sight. Uh, perfect example, another Elmore Leonard story, story, you know, Barry Sonnenfeld involved in that one as well. Different tone to that completely, you know, much more gritty, but. Same type of like very complicated story, lots of characters, kind of a quirky crime story. Uh, another one from around this time period that I loved as well is Gross Point Blank with John Cusack. I think I mentioned that, uh, you know, Mini a couple of weeks ago uh, when we did with Mini Driver. Yeah, when we did 2012, I mentioned that. And that just sort of became a thing in the 90s. But Get Shorty, yeah, you could say Pulp Fiction first. But like as far as just a marketable, fun comedy, Get Shorty was the original. And I still think that there are ways they tell the story in this movie that is so clever that because Barry Sonnefeld is such a commercially friendly director, you're you're not quite clued in about how complicated the storytelling is in this. You know, the opening scenes really just being a setup for a feud later on that, that has nothing to do with the plot. It, just them sitting around talking about the weather, you think this is going to be like Pulp Fiction. I mean, it's the exact same way Pulp Fiction sort of starts, you know, people talking around breakfast, you know, at a restaurant. Uh, and, and then just going on and on about the weather, you know, it's freezing temperature out there. Uh, being somebody from Winnipeg, I, I do always get a laugh when they say it's th- 34 degrees out there, which I understand is Fahrenheit. But he says it's almost freezing temperature. Man, it, it is well, almost freezing temperature. That is freezing for Miami. That, <laughs> no, I get that. I get that for Miami. But for being in Winnipeg, I always sort of would watch that growing up and I'd be like. Man, that's shorts weather still. Like, <laughs> I don't need a jacket. And then they're complaining. The, the only moment to me where Chili Palmer looks like a bit of a wimp is where he's basically saying, it's freezing outside. Have, I need my jacket. Having, you, know, you owe me $379. Having lived in Australia's Florida, basically, in Queensland, I've lived through a winter there where they are exactly like that. Like, uh, obviously, Celsius yeah. for me. But, like, if it dropped below 20 degrees Celsius, they're wearing jeans, jackets, you know, sweaters. Oh, yeah. They are complaining their asses off. And, like, I'm from the cold part of Australia, <laughs> which, of course, is nothing compared to Winnipeg. But I'm like, dude, I'm from Hobart. This is shorts weather. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and... Uh, we got that when we went to the Bahamas. I think I mentioned this on Double R Seven that uh, we would go into these stores when we were out shopping. We'd see people selling winter jackets, and we actually would ask the people, "We're like, do you sell these so people can just take them home to Canada or something?" Like, no, this is what we wear when it gets cold, like it was this morning. And we're like, it was nineteen <laughs> degrees this morning when we woke up, and they're like. Yeah, yeah, but you just watch tomorrow. You look outside the hotel window and you see people coming off the bus, coming from their cars. And we went down for breakfast in the hotel the next morning and we saw our waitress wearing what we would consider a winter coat when it was an overnight <laughs> low of 18, 19 degrees. Yep. So, uh, you know, all depending on your climate, obviously it would be cold. But to me, from Winnipeg, only moment that Chili Palmer does not look cool. Um, 
But just the introduction of this feud, which really the feud between Bones and Chili takes a back seat for the majority of this movie. And then it becomes all there in the climax. Uh, it's set up so perfectly. You know, Bones is such an obnoxious jerk where he's like, it's Chili outside and it's Chili inside. And they're all, all of his friends are like, ah! <laughs> and Chili just has it like Travolta just, he just sort of turns and he looks at him. You could tell he's annoyed, but like the words he says, how you doing Bones? Like just so polite, you know, it's, it's just perfect like for him. Uh, and then the whole jacket getting stolen, like, you know, everything you need to know about Bones right there. You know, he's a bully and he doesn't care. He knows that Chili Palmer is dangerous, but he thinks he's better. You know, he thinks he's smarter and everything. And, and the greatest thing about this movie is how dumb all the characters are without any of the characters realizing they're dumb. It's like watching the Mike Judge movie Idiocracy. Did you ever see that? Uh, I've never seen it, but I'm aware of it. Yeah. Yeah, where one guy goes to the future and realizes that the average IQ is in single digits now, but these people think that they're intelligent, you know? That's kind of what the world of Get Shorty is. Like, everybody is an absolute idiot. And Bones is a perfect example. But, you know, when he goes in there and he's, uh, you know, punches him in the middle, it's like, again, I, I love the way that violence is filmed in this movie. We talked about for the Irishman, uh, how they just, the one good thing about that movie was that they filmed violence in a way that it caught you off guard more. It was something different. And same thing with this movie. You... Every time violence is committed in this movie, you want to laugh, even though it is brutal. His punch, punching and bones in the nose, it is a brutal hit. But yet it looks funny because of the way it happens. You know, just politely knock on the door. He opens the door, punch him right in the nose, grab his coat, walk right out. Like, it is so cool and it is so funny. And then Bones going in with the gun, like I said, just, just a look on his face where he shoots him. And it is intentional. He shoots the scalp off of his head, basically. That's the only time Chili actually uses a gun in this whole movie. He even brings that up later on. And... You know, after we finished Get Shorty last night, Jamie and I went to bed watching Be Cool. I didn't finish it. You know, it's been a few years since I've seen it, but I'm pretty sure I don't think he uses a gun in, in Be Cool either because he just doesn't need to. Like, this is the confidence and I was talking about. Is that um, just quickly to interrupt one of those things where it's like when somebody points out to you that like Batman never uses a gun or like Indiana Jones, like, I mean, okay, Indiana Jones <laughs> uses a gun, but like, you know what I mean? Like there's there's certain things that you think in certain movies, like when we've done the Bond movies over on 007, uh, we count yeah. the kills, and then something like the man with the golden gun, he literally kills one person, like, and you kind of go, oh, like, yeah. you, it's weird when you kind of, you realise that. I, I mean, I did not pick up on that with Chili Palmer at all until mm -hmm. you just said that, so there you go. And it makes him that much better because he, let's be honest, Sean Travolta, I mean, he's in good shape here, you know, for a 41, 42-year-old man or whatever, Yeah, but... It's not like you look at him and you're like, oh, I don't want to cross this guy. You know, Samuel Jackson, Samuel Jackson be 98 pounds <laughs> and 88 years old. And you still look at that man and you don't want to cross him. Exactly. Travolta's not like that. He looks likable. So that they can pull this off as incredible for a guy who commits one act of violence in the movie or two, if you include shooting the scalp off, one of which is a practical joke. And even later on when he talks about him being shot. It's just like it's just effortless. Like it's the confidence that makes everything about this character work. Uh, and and the the Momo setup, you know, I always love that because you could hear the labored breathings. Like, <sighs> <sighs> <laughs> so he's just climbing like one flight of stairs and then happy birthday and he's dead. And that's just before the credits. Like this is just setting up the feud that has nothing to do with the plot. Uh, and oh, also, I want to mention the guy that bones bones his boss. So the way that uh, this works is. Chili works for a mob boss out of New York, but he has been sent down to Miami where they have a Miami operation or whatever. And yeah, it's just one of these things where they operate this loan sharking business out of the back of a barber shop. Right. Yeah, just uh, the, the barbershop's a front. Uh, Bones' boss kind of runs the Miami territory, but he's basically saying, listen, 
Chili doesn't work for me. You don't do anything until Momo's dead. Then when Momo's dead, suddenly, well, Chili, you work for me now because you're in Miami or whatever. So he was running this operation under somebody else's territory. So they kind of just had like this, you know, friendly agreement or whatever. We'll let you do this here. Um, but uh, when the, the the guy who plays Bones Boss, uh, I don't even remember what his name is. In the, the actor's name is Alex Rocco. He's from The Godfather, like the first Godfather movie. And I always uh, missed it until um, I, I think I went back because I saw Get Shirty before I saw The Godfather. And then when it was when I watched these movies back to back, I realized that this scene is a direct reference to his death scene in The Godfather. Because in The Godfather, his character runs a casino and he's assassinated while getting a massage on a massage table, literally face down on a massage table. And that's exactly what they're doing here. So. I, I figure that has to be an intentional thing that they have Alex Rocco, you know, the, one of the guys from The Godfather, uh, literally having one scene imitating in the exact position he was in in The Godfather. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they pass the credits and then when Bones comes in, like the movie slows down. It's just this this montage of fast, fast scenes and then it slows down when Bones comes in. And uh, Martin Ferrer too, like underrated in this movie because he really only has a couple of scenes but he's got like the same type of confidence like doesn't matter if somebody's holding a gun to your head he's like hey how's it going you know uh he has that when bones starts threatening them later but uh, i love when bones walks in and, and of course chili already knows this guy's now my boss so i shouldn't mess with them and the first thing i think that uh, uh chili says to him is something's like you want these guys to fit you for a rug you know <laughs> like basically saying hey you, you need a new toupee or something like that he, he's just messing with him right away and then when bone says you know i'm looking at your books here uh and there's this guy leo who uh you know has obviously owed fifteen thousand dollars or whatever you know what about the money he goes well he's dead bones like he, he's not even caring that this guy is his boss now he goes how do you know did you tell you personally yes bones he personally <laughs> told me that he died yes. right after he blew up in that plane crash <laughs> um but that the whole idea of this plot is that you know, Chili is being forced to collect on a debt that he otherwise would have let go. So when Chili goes to talk to the wife, I love the way that this is told, too, because the wife doesn't say anything except for I really wish he, he were dead, but he's not. And then they just sort of cut there. You don't know what happens. So then when Chili gets to L.A., he fills in the story when he's doing the movie pitch, which is such a clever way of telling the backstory without bombarding the audience. Because you even said, like, there's a lot of information up front. But imagine if the wife had sat there and said, OK, so he was going to skip town and then he got on the plane and then he got off the plane. Uh, but saving that for later on, the movie pitch is such a great idea. Uh, and, and then the car thing, which becomes a running gag and be cool, too, where he gets off uh, after stopping in Vegas. He gets off the uh, the bus and um, uh, he's got the, the minivan. There. He goes, I ordered a Cadillac. Yeah, it's like, well, this is the Cadillac a minivan, <laughs> <laughs> which happens again in be cool uh which is you know funny too uh oh i did i did miss one thing here i i can't miss this my notes just the minor characters that are so funny in here when when bones walks into the barbershop and his muscle his bodyguard or whatever it's like this is ray barboni you do what he says you know he's the boss now and he's basically trying to tough guy it and then chili just looks at him and says you can do better than him can't she goes not these days not unless you speak spanish <laughs> he's immediately backing up his boss i got your back boss and says, you can do better than him no not unless you speak spanish and then when bones is misusing the ie and the yes. eg abbreviation and he goes eg eg is more like example it goes no i think it's this and then his muscle there the the henchman is like to best of my knowledge 
E.G. means example. And he goes, thank you very much. <laughs> like, minor characters in this movie are such stars. And these are the best types of movies there are. Um, yeah, so uh, after the the casino or whatever, when he goes to L.A., just so you don't know where Chili is in the house, too. He just sort of shows up. And then you see it from Gene Hackman and Rene Russo's point of view, which I don't think the movie – does the movie say that they used to be married? Like as many times I've seen this movie, I always get confused. Was she supposed to have been married to Harry at some point and then she left him for I, Danny DeVito? I don't know. Um, I thought that – I thought she mentioned something about hooking up with him for some reason and, and I don't know. I mean, Renee Russo Maybe has a, a, what is with her types in this movie? Danny DeVito, Gene Hackman, and John Travolta. Yeah, I mean, it's a varying Hackman. difference of uh, looks and personalities there. Well, you know why she settles on Travolta in the end. I mean, <laughs> it's the first time she's really scored a 10 in uh, her entire life. <laughs> and also a, a man but, younger uh, than 87. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although, funny, Danny DeVito was only 49 when he made this movie. He was seven years older than Travolta. He's another one who looks old all the time. Yeah, always looked old. Uh, but uh, even just the scene, like, I, Renee Russo, she's got such a great character in this movie, and she is the most, she's the straight woman. She's not as funny or outright funny or outrageous as the other character. She is the straight character, but she does such brilliant things by being straight. Like, this proves you don't have to be the big you know, over the top elaborate character in order to be funny. Cause even in the scene where she's like, you know, I hear some noise downstairs and uh, you know, Gene Hackman's like, Oh, you know, it, it uh, uh, it's nothing or whatever. You must have left the TV on. She's like, I thought you turned off the TV. And she's like, I also thought I told you to sleep in the maid's room. <laughs> she just <laughs> said that she let the guy sleep at the bed. Like I just pictured the, the background there of her in bed. She had told him, all right, sleep in the maid's room. He comes in, he lies, takes off his clothes, lies down in bed with her, and she's like, all right, whatever. And then wakes up and then decides to tell him after the fact, oh, you left the TV on downstairs. Oh, and you're supposed to sleep in the maid's room. Like, it wasn't even that important to her. Uh, and then when he talks about the, what happened to Muffy? Like, his expression <laughs> changing. Which, uh, you know, Gene Hackman, I, don't, I think every time I watch this movie, I get more and more of a, a, a grasp on how dumb his character will be. He is the dumbest character in this movie. And... Because he's Gene Hackman, you don't immediately get that. And I think also that's a really smart choice to to play this not quite as obviously dumb. Because uh, the, the trivia on this is that Barry Sonnenfeld asked him to be in this movie and Gene Hackman turned it down just because he said, I don't really do comedies. I'm not a funny guy. And Barry Sonnenfeld told him, that's why I want you in this movie. Because I think you not trying to be funny will make this character funnier. And it does work because if you had just done this as a complete you know, idiot – uh, it, it, it wouldn't have been as funny as you just slowly realizing Gene Hackman, who's usually the smartest guy in any movie, is the idiot of this movie. Uh, and then when he's downstairs and, and you know, Chili confronting him, uh, like even just the way he confronts me, he's like, you know, uh, Chili keeps telling him, look at him. He's like, why do you keep telling me to look at you? Like, he's just whiny. It's great. Uh, but then Rene Russo coming down, like the way that this movie will just sort of cut out a scene and then go back and tell you what happened. Where he's like, you know, I've got an idea for a movie for you. And then they just cut. And it's like, I don't know, an hour later. And she's just hearing them chit-chatting downstairs. And imagine, again, from her perspective, she said, somebody's broken into the house. Go down and see what's going on. And then he comes down and sees them chatting with somebody she's never known before, which is great. And just her confidence in the scene where she's, uh, you know, uh, saying something. It's like, all right, you and your new friend can get out of my house. <laughs> um, and let's just also say, like, the image of her, which is my profile pic right now, just in the Lakers shirt. 
Like, that's a physical presence. Like, uh, physical presence isn't always size and everything. It's just being able to stand a certain way. It's just being able to look a certain way. And this is, I think, kind of what you were getting about how cool Rene Russo is in this movie. Because she is not trying to be cool. It is just effortless. She's just standing there wearing a t-shirt and nothing else, which is nice. And just listening to these guys talk. And you can tell from the look on her face, she's just getting ready to say, all right, get out of my house. You're not (laughs) supposed to be here. Uh, But she just doesn't care. You know, it's just effortless with her. Uh, The way that the scene unfolds too, where he starts telling, this is my idea for a movie. And you realize he's telling the story of what he's doing. Now he's telling what Leo's wife told him later on. Such great way to just edit this story in there without bombarding the audience. Uh, But then the, the slow revelation of, Gene Hackman not getting this is a real story where where, you know, he's trying to say, oh, then you should do this. And oh, who's your hero? He goes, well, you know, the loan shark is a hero or whatever. He goes, well, he's barely mentioned. And then Rene was like, Harry, you're an idiot. <laughs> he's talking about that fight that went down. And then, oh, right. OK, so are you the guy? He goes, no, I'm not the guy. He's the loan shark. you idiot. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's having to tell the audience how dumb he is. Uh, he's only going to get dumber from here, too. Um, uh, do we have anything else here? Uh, yeah, no, that, that, that's the end of my notes here, but can't talk enough about how great the chemistry is of all these actors. So I'll agree with you. Maybe she has more chemistry with Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon than with Travolta here, but it's like really close. But you put her in any movie with anybody. I mean, you, you put her with Dennis Quaid, yours, mine's and ours, you know, great chemistry in that movie. Buddy, the movie she made with an animatronic sh- chimp, I guarantee she has great chemistry with the animatronic chimps in that movie. <laughs> when are we doing animatronic chimp month on the Oz Network? That's a, <laughs> a long overdue month that everybody's been clearly crying out for. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah, it's funny with Gene Hackman sort of being so dumb in this movie because you're right, it kind of does throw you off a little bit, I feel, just kind of... Um, you know, because you kind of expect a certain thing from Gene Hackman. But, uh, yeah, the guy, like, it's, it's the opposite of he doesn't age. The guy doesn't, like, he's always aged, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love this shot when we go to the airport and you've got, like, they're talking about the plane crash and you kind of see that plane and you think it's like it's about to crash. But then kind of the way they kind of, like, pan the camera out and it's just a plane landing. Like, it's really cool the way they do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for the first time, we get to meet... In this movie, the esteemed Delroy Lindo, who is wearing yes. his cool yellow suit. Um, he's in LAX and James Gandolfini's giving a little girl an ice cream. And then we meet this kid character guy who, can I just say, his play, Yayo is a name. And the char- the actor is Jacob Vargas. Another Vargas, Colin. We can't <laughs> escape the Vargas. Um, Vargas Oz. So they're here to do a drop basically, uh, in that... So he drops an airline ticket on the the trash so that uh, James Gandolfini can go click up, collect the suitcase. And then they're going to do an exchange of a key because the money is in the locker. And this is where we learn that there's a bunch of feds watching them. Now, probably the biggest question I had in this entire movie, do those feds permanently sit there every single day for, like, the next however many months until someone picks up because like it's the same guys like i'm sure they've got shifts and maybe it's just coincidental that we're only seeing like the daytime flights but like legitimately is that their job to just sit there and literally just read a newspaper for like 10 hours a day like mm-hmm. sign me up yeah. for that like that's a job <laughs> what do you get paid to i oh, sit in a thing and read you know so yeah watch um, a locker 
yeah, watch a locker. Uh, so basically, um, I'm just going to call him Vargas. That's all I'm going to remember. Uh, he <laughs> told Yayo, gets a key, go to the locker, uh, and this will be all done and fixed for you. Delroy Lindo kind of walks off and then goes and meets up with James Gandolfini. And now the suitcase that they collect, is that the suitcase with the money in it? What is that suitcase that they collect? Have I forgotten? The, they collect the suitcase. Yeah, because well, shows okay, the so there's something that. Yeah, no, that's something that might be. Okay, best way I can explain this. Uh, this is the one thing I think would have been closest to a plot hole because he says, "Here's a key to the locker with the money that we owe you, plus some product we're returning." Uh, you know, he says cocaine has been stepped on so many times or whatever. You know, it's uh, whatever. Um, but they're picking up what they're paying for right now. So the only way I think I could explain this is that they've done several deals like this in the past. And then the last time they had, you know, bought cocaine, they had some of it they wanted to return. So this being the 13th, you know, exchange or whatever, they've decided let's put this in the locker. You know, at some point this has been a locker and they got clued in that the feds are watching this locker. Uh, But the fact that they're saying we're returning the product when they literally just picked up the product the only way that can really be explained is if they had done this in the past in the exact same way. Okay. Sure. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I understand. But I it really will... helps if you watch the movie. Yeah, understand. it does. I should have watched it, shouldn't I? Maybe I'll, I'll do that next time. Um, just want to point out pre-9-11 uh, airports here, of course, where, yeah. you know, I mean, in all fairness, you can do what Gene Hackman, uh, not Gene Hackman, sorry, you can do what Delroy Lindo did in Australia. Like, you can still walk into the uh, terminal and actually wait in that area in Australia still. There is no restrictions. You just obviously have to go through airport security and you can wait in the same area that people arrive. But I definitely know you can't do that in North America. So, uh, you know, there's that. Uh, the fact they have lockers in the airport uh screams mm-hmm. massive security risk to me uh <laughs> now i've been to lax multiple occasions i've never seen lockers but having said that i've only been to lax in a post 9-11 world so uh and also there you go folks if you're playing oz network bingo we've mentioned 9-11 so you're welcome and yeah, well, <laughs> is it a post 9-11 world or is it a post delroy lindo world what uh, really caused the removal Del- of lockers delroy lindo let's be honest that's what it was <laughs> um so anyway john travolta's buddies with gene hackman of course now they're driving around, and I, I think I've noticed something with you, Colin. You clearly like movies that are based on people making movies because you like Bowfinger, you like Get Shorty. Yeah. Um, that's about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Those are two good ones right there, though. <laughs> two of your favorite movies are movies about making movies. I'm sure you liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, even though that really was kind of making yeah. movies, you know, not fully. You know what I'm talking about. Um, so anyway, they're driving around. Uh, we see Danny DeVito's character. We, we discover that Gene Hackman has a script. Now, this is also, again, where I got a little bit lost. So he wrote a script that he can't use because somebody died and the ex-wife is holding on to it. Is that what is right? No, oh, so... His primary screenwriter that he used in all of his B-grade horror movies had written a script and never used it for 20 years. He showed it to him one day and he said, this is great. We should make this movie. But then the screenwriter died. So because they didn't have a written agreement done in time, the widow now says, well, if you want that screenplay, you're going to pay me for it. Okay, good. Colin Hilding explaining smart things to dumb Ben since... (laughs) 
2013. So yes, we learn about this script. Now this is the Lovejoy script, right? I didn't. I wrote that one down Mr. correctly. Mister Lovejoy. Yep. Uh, we see Danny DeVito having lunch with a woman who's a rock star, who we later find out that John Travolta knows. Okay. Um, remember that because I was kind of confused when that happened. Um, we go to Gene Hackman's office. He gets a bit of a shakedown. Uh, from uh, Delroy Lindo and his who who's his sidekick here? Who's Delroy Lindo's sidekick? Is that uh, John Grease? John Grease? No, okay. Uh, Leo is yeah. well, a different person. Well, there's James Gandolfini, who's the henchman, and then the the other owner of Delroy Lindo's business, John Grease. He uh, he was on Lost. Who's Roger Linus on Lost? I'm guessing it's related to Benjamin Linus. Oh, he's Ben's dad. And yeah, okay. I knew because I was going to ask who he was because like I want to look at the actor because I'm like he looks familiar. Uh, hmm. Yeah, he's um, a young kid when Ben's uh, in the flashbacks, if you remember. Oh, okay, um, vaguely remember that. And Ben basically kills his dad. So yeah, he's more well known as Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite. Who he's yeah. amazing in that. Uh, but he's one of these guys that every every movie you would see him in, he completely changes his look, his delivery, like it's hard to be able to pinpoint, oh, yeah, he's that guy from that thing because it's a completely different character from Uncle Rico and I'm guessing, you know, Lost as well. Am I of the unpopular opinion to say that I think Napoleon Dynamite is slightly overrated? Unpopular of me, but uh, I will say that it's uh, it's one of these movies that I found anybody who has actually ever lived in a really small town appreciates that movie on a completely different level. There are jokes you get in that movie that nobody else would laugh at just because you've lived in a small town. So having spent, I think, the first eight years of my life living in, like, tiny, tiny towns, I I, I think I get that movie a little bit more. I do have a friend, though. It was funny. He also grew up in a small town, and he was the only small-town person I ever heard of who said they did not like Napoleon Dynamite. And I'm like, how could you not love Napoleon Dynamite? He goes, you don't understand. When I was a teenager, I was Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> this is bad memories for me. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, you gotta love Napoleon Dynamite. The 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 best bit about that movie is the dance sequence at the end. Uh, let's be honest. Um, but no, I mean, like, I didn't. I don't dislike Napoleon Dynamite. I just remember watching it, going, okay, that was fine. It's not as great as everyone thought it. Like everyone raves on about this as this most incredibly funny movie. I'm like, okay, I get it. But, you know, it didn't make me go and buy a Vote Pedro shirt like everyone was wearing in 2007, <laughs> whatever year it was that it came out. So, anyway. But you know what? You can get a Vote Rene Russo, John Travolta, 1995 shirt over at tpublic.com slash OZN. <laughs> I expect you to throw at least another seven of those in between now and the end of this episode. So... <laughs> Gene Hackman's getting shakedown. He owes them money, which do we ever find out what that money was? It was from a different film, a different script? Yeah. So Delroy Lindo and John Grease, the limo guys, they own a, their front is a limo company. They have invested money in what was supposed to be Gene Hackman's next movie. But he needs to make this Mr. Lovejoy first, or he needs the money in order to get the script to make Mr. Lovejoy. Which, But he blew the money. Delone Shah, I mean, look, I, I know you're a you know a high wigging Hollywood type, Colin, who can answer this question, but <laughs> do loan sharks genuinely loan money to like movie producers? I'm guessing they probably do. I mean, <laughs> there's probably famous examples. Independence, Independence yeah, Day. Yeah, that's how Napoleon Dynamite got. No, no, no. <laughs> that's how that's how Napoleon Dynamite got made. You know? Oh, independent films. I thought you were about to say, yeah, well, Independence Day, man. Yeah. Everyone knows Roland Emmerich was just skimming money yeah, from exactly. loan sharks. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why he had to make the sequel to, to pay off the, all the money that he'd borrowed over the years. You know, Godzilla was such a bust for him. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, so they kind of give him the shakedown and they basically say you've got till basically Friday to come up with this money or you're dead. Uh, I do like John Travolta here when he's kind of like, you know, like, you know, don't say anything, don't do this, don't say who I am, and just Gene Hackman just wusses out on everything. It's like, no, this is Chili Palmer. He's an associate of mine. Blah, 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 blah. Amazing scene. Oh, it's so good. But, um, like, the chemistry that you kind of have with Delroy Lindo and John Travolta as well, like, I mean, again, it's a different type of chemistry than it is with Rene Russo, but it's it's great. Um, I do love the next scene with John Travolta in Rene Russo's house. And not just because we see Renee Russo in a blonde wing in her underwear, but, um, you know, like, I, w- I wanted to come over and apologize uh, for breaking in the other day. So you're coming to apologize to break in by breaking in? The patio door was unlocked. You should always, you know, you got a lot of nice stuff in here. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, I think Renee Russo is the smartest person in this movie. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's smarter than Chili. Chili Palmer's smart at what he does. But, like, she could do it all. You know, she's the one who makes this movie happen. Yeah. She's great. And she looks good with a blonde wig. Just got to say. Uh, I'm not I'm not a blonde fan. Like, I, I'm definitely a brunette fan. But got to say, mm-hmm. you know, I'd, I'd yeah, I'd, I'd let her put a wig on it. You know? That just... Yeah. <laughs> same, same thing. Like, I'm exactly the same as you. I would say 95% of the time, blonde would do absolutely nothing for me. Uh, and I think Jamie even mentioned that in one of these movies. He's like, yeah, but Renee Russo's blonde. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? Renee Russo can pull it off. Yeah, exactly. And she did. She pulled off the wig and then she was in her underwear. So. I'm also a fan of her in underwear. Me too, funnily <laughs> enough. Um, can I just say another controversy? This is a controversial opinion episode. I like her better in her underwear than naked in the Thomas Crown Affair. I agree. There, okay, there you go. And I, I'm, difference I is, not, I, I'm I, not a prude like Colin. I genuinely like females naked instead of underwear. I just think for some reason the underwear looks this, better than her naked. This this is not um, this is not to do with underwear or stuff like that. But uh, complete side note here. You know, we covered Thomas Crown Affair a couple of weeks ago, and. Uh, I told I woke up this morning. I told Jamie like I had a dream last night. She goes, "What was your dream?" I'm like, "Pierce Brosnan came over for dinner." <laughs> <laughs> She's like, "Oh," I'm like, "That's it." I kept expecting him to leave and to be annoyed that he was hanging out with a Bond fan, but he had three different desserts. I kept wondering where are these desserts coming from. When is this guy gonna leave? And then I'm like, "Oh, I remember something else." I'm like, "We were watching a Sean Bean movie." So wow. I'm like, I am watching a Sean B movie with Pierce Brosnan. And the only thing she could say is like, was Rene Russo in the dream? I'm like, no, sadly, no. <laughs> but let's be honest. If you had a choice of Rene Russo and Pierce Brosnan coming over for dinner and walking in in their underwear, we both know we're both going to choose Pierce Brosnan. Pierce. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's 2020. We can get away with that, you know. <laughs> Couldn't win Get Shorty came out. But, you know, that's... <laughs> That's how we roll. Uh, you know, we are we are modern men. Uh, guy time is what we would be having. So guy uh, time, <laughs> guy time. Um, th- you talked about kind of like that that violence, which is sort of um, I guess full on, bit confronting. The one in this movie is definitely when what's his face Farina punches the woman, which we got basically in this scene yeah. here. Kind of like I just not expecting that at all. You know, like, holy crap! It's still. It's still in a way, it kind of is funny. I'm not saying violence against It's filmed in a way where it catches you off guard so much. It's it's like the way I explained, um, you know, I, I think on our decade, end of decade episode, the way I explained the John Wick movies, that you're seeing something so incredibly violent, but it's just done in a way where you almost have to laugh because you're like, oh, that is so clever. Like, it's it still kind of makes me laugh. It, uh, yes, uh, I will fear for Jamie uh, later on after tonight. Like... <laughs> 
I said I wanted steak for dinner. Ha 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 ha. Your face is bleeding. Um, <laughs> and then you set her on fire and it's a laugh a minute in the Hilding household. <laughs> Can I just put out, I love the other day, um, I think Jamie yep. like shared something. I don't know if she put it on your wall or tagged you, but it came up on my Facebook feed. And it was like a, a video of people doing things that like accidentally caught themselves on fire or something like that. And I just love <laughs> Jamie's comment where she's like, oh, sharing this for Colin because I know how much he would find this funny. Like I imagine you <laughs> laughing watching that video. You get people blowing out candles on their wedding cake and then their hair catches on fire, their veil catches on fire. Like, who can't laugh at that? <laughs> oh, Lord. You're going to, like, go to, like, walk down the street and, like, a children's hospital is on fire and you've got all these kids, like, <laughs> flailing out the window. Help me, help me, random stranger. And you're just there going, ah, <laughs> little Timmy skin's falling off. Look at it go. Look at all the pain he's in. <laughs> I'm not going to comment because I don't want to get arrested, but still something kind of funny about that image. I'm sorry, but I'm going to wake up one day to see like news of Winnipeg man, you know, arrested after setting his wife and three children on fire. And I'm going to straight away jump to a conclusion. I hope you realize that. Again, I will not comment. I, I think I've dug myself in deep enough now. <laughs> If you're joining the Oz Network for the first time, everyone, Colin's a pyromaniac, I'm a pedophile. That's the ongoing jokes. And <laughs> and don't forget, Noah is a racist and can't get a date. There we go. <laughs> if you don't know who Noah is, we don't either. He hasn't been on the show in a while. <laughs> um, Lost Season 5 coming eventually to the Oz Network. You're talking about John Peace. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, where am I even up to? What did I just last talk about? Uh, oh, Renee Russo in the underwear, of course. We get distracted with that. Um, yeah. John Travolta, meanwhile, flies back to LA, uh, Las Vegas to threaten our plane guy and take his money. This, this was the question I had. This is one of these plot holes. What's the investment of the $10,000 and get 18%? What's that? Uh, is that just the interest he has to pay? Well, no, like, cause he says, like, I'm gonna take your three hundred thousand. Oh, what he's taking the money for? And he and but he's not like yeah. three hundred eighteen thousand. And he's like, I'm gonna take the three hundred thousand off your hand. That's gonna be paid off. And then I'm gonna take the eighteen thousand dollars as a loan, and you will get like ten percent interest or something like that. Like, what's that money for? Yeah, is that ever explained? I I don't think so. I I would just think it it has something to do with um you know raising money for the movies. I know in the book there was more about Chili actually doing some gambling too. So maybe there is a deleted scene where he figured he could take this 10,000 and turn it into half a million or something. But yeah, it really doesn't make a lot of sense uh, unless you're just again, speculating that he's going to take 10,000, but I'll, I'll agree because I, I, I don't like it when movies just leave something completely un, unsaid, you know, I I was thinking that there was something I missed or I was kind of assuming that this would be like, Oh, he's taking the money to invest in the movie so we could get it started or something like that. That's kind of it. Yeah, but we know it's going to take half a million dollars. So 10,000, what is that? Uh, nothing. Apparently a lot to me. Give me 10,000, give the Oz network $10,000 Buy 10,000 t-shirts, which would be more than that. You know what? If you, if you, if you give us $10,000, we will give you all four of Rene Russo's t- campaign theme TV shirts. Russo Estevez, 92. Russo Travolta, 95. Russo Brosnan, 99. And Russo De Niro Murphy, 2002. What happened? Only to- for $10,000. <laughs> what happened to uh, Russo Hoffman, 95? 
We try to forget outbreak. Let's be honest. Yeah, true. <laughs> It'll be an outbreak of outbreak stuff. So yeah, he's in Vegas. Goes then. That's that's that scene. Um. Then this is when is this when Travolta's getting threatened in his hotel room now? No, or is it his house hotel room? No, it's his house by Delroy Lindo. He's in his house, right? No, well, this is a scene. Yeah, or I think it's it's Harry's office. Okay, all right, that too. Um, again, I don't watch these movies. So these two have like sort of a great confrontation. I, I love kind of like how they sort of get on the same page all of a sudden. It's like these two freaking, you know, loan shark mob dealer people have this underlying passion for the movie industry. <laughs> like it's kind of, yeah. <laughs> like it's just, this is what I think is kind of funny because I like, there's a scene coming up when Travolta's watching the movie and he's just like quoting this like random movie, like off by heart. And he's like hitting people in the movie. Like, oh, Hey man, how great was that? Like, I love it when you kind of see these like tough guy characters, like deep down, like this is what Showtime was trying to do with Robert De Niro. Yeah. And then he makes pottery. Um, you know, but th- this is like legitimately <laughs> funny. And I love freaking uh, Dora Lindo. who's like, oh yeah, it's so easy. You just write a couple of words, get someone to fix the spelling, you know, do some gra- grammatic, write fade out at the end. Boom. It's that simple. Uh, <laughs> like, I've read some scripts where I know words are spelt wrong and there's no punctuation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I love this. And then basically Travolta walks off and he's just like, nah, get fucked. Um, so this, oh, straight away to the scene, actually, where he's at the cinema. And so he had mentioned to Rene Russo before, like, oh, I'm just, my hotel's around the corner from this movie theater and they're showing this. Just want to say, very well done to 1995 movie crowds for socially distancing. They are all, everyone in that yeah. cinema <laughs> is six feet apart. So good job, 1995 Los Angeles. All right. That is why they were coronavirus free in 1995. So good. <laughs> good job, LA. Well, just Los Angeles, though. The rest of the country was ravaged by it. Oh, I mean, don't you know it? I mean, Winnipeg, the great Winnipeg coronavirus outbreak of 1995. <laughs> That's what happens when you have a good president. America, Bill Clinton, played that saxophone. He blew all the coronavirus away. Um, I really don't know much about your politics, guys. That's not a, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a, I don't know anything, all right? Um, <laughs> so... That's, please don't start sending me, like, tweets, like, MAGA, like, you suck, Ben, like, fuck the Clintons, crooked Hillary. Like, I don't know anything about it, all right? Hillary doesn't you know, look crooked thing, to me. She stands up pretty straight. The only thing we know about mid-'90s politics is that a better option than Bill Clinton would have been putting Russo and Travolta on a ballot for 95, <laughs> which uh, you can find a T-shirt of at <laughs> tpublic.com slash OZN. You know, I remember on our Lost podcast that we haven't done in 28 years that uh, I feel Noah and I randomly chose like a, a product or a website or something that every single week we were legitimately like, this week's episode brought to you by ShamWow. Have you shammed something lately and made it go well? Then do so with ShamWow because we were trying to get sponsorship because we're the Oz Network and we're poor. So I think, you know, how like everyone has a podcast nowadays. I think we're the only one who doesn't get any money from it. So, you know, we've been doing this yeah. for a while. Well, well that will change. <laughs> yeah. That will change if people go to tpublic.com slash OZM. <laughs> Renee Russo You can lover. find more than Renee Russo. If, if, yeah. I, I, I want screenshots of this to put it on our social media so that Renee Russo lover can buy one. Um, Chris Dixon <laughs> generally does everything that every podcast he listens to does. So hopefully he'll buy one. Um, Lad Undercover will buy one in like 2027. Um, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I tell you what, if Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman do end up officiating my wedding, I'll give them a, a Russo Estevez t shirt to wear as uh, part of their yes. package. 
for their high honor. Um, gosh, there's like, I feel like there's like not much to cover, but I feel like there also is because they're just kind of all like individual scenes. So um, I'm just going to skim over a lot of stuff. So yeah, Rene Russo shows up to the cinema. Uh, they have a talk. They kind of, they're about to hook up soon. Uh, Vargas, meanwhile, is staring at the C18 locker. I do like earlier on when kind of he got given the tip that anyone with a bulge in their ankle is clearly a, an yeah. undercover agent. Now he just looks at literally every single person, including like a little kid, uh, some like elderly woman, and they've all got bulges in their ankles. So he doesn't mm-hmm. open the locker. He goes to... Um, uh, Delroy Lindo's house, who has a weird obsession for his carpet. Uh, I don't know if there's an in-joke there or something that I'm missing, mm-hmm. but he just, every single scene, is like, get off my carpet, don't get blood on my carpet, don't do this. Um, he ends up killing Vargas, who we're going to find out is the nephew of, is it actually meant to be Pablo Escobar, or is it just somebody called Escobar? Just somebody called Escobar. Because I've I literally read on like something online saying that it's meant to be Pablo Escobar, so that, yeah, I don't know if that's just a, a coincidence. Uh, and we'll get to uh, well, the... I would think unless Pablo unless Pablo Escobar actually had a nephew named Yayo, it's probably a fictional character meant to kind of be like Pablo Escobar. Well, we will talk about the esteemed actor who plays Escobar. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you yes. know who what he's from. I know, I'm sure. I, I know. I All I know is he's a digger. Corazito de heads. Um... <laughs> The only Spanish I know. Thanks, Jurassic Park. <laughs> um, that wasn't even it. Like, I don't even know what I said. But um, sorry if I was just racist in Spanish. I feel like I'm Noah or something. <laughs> you just said the Spanish equivalent of, I don't know, the N-word or something. <laughs> probably. Probably. just good. I've got, you know, Trump supporters coming after me. I've got Latin America coming <laughs> after me. Standard Oz Network episode, if only we had listeners. Um, he ends up getting shot. He's dead. Boo-hoo. You know, so sad. Um, so then they show up to Danny DeVito's house because they're trying to get Danny DeVito to star in this movie so that mm-hmm. it will sway them to do it. Is that what I'm understanding correctly? Yeah, I think because the studio said if you can get Martin Weir, then we'll make this movie. Okay, there you go. Thank you. I just sort of understood it. So they go around to his house. Uh, we meet this rock star chick. Is this the same rock star chick that she he was having lunch with before, right? Like I that I am I'm not completely done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is supposed to be well. Yeah. Because in this scene, Rene Russo basically says to Danny DeVito, you know, when he's like, "What what happened to us?" And he goes, "Well, you happened when you left me for her." So this is this is the mistress uh, that Danny DeVito was messing around with when he was married to Rene Russo, and now he's with her. I do like that, that bit when he kind of says that, and it's like. You know what happened to us? I was like, oh, you know, you we went to that party and you like had sex in the bathroom and Danny DeVito. That was a good party. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was a good party. <laughs> I do like Danny DeVito's character though because like I love the fact that he's got this like massive painting of himself on the wall, um, <laughs> and then I love kind of this sequence here where like basically John Travolta's like you know making him act and get into character and stuff like that. Like really, really fun scene and just Renee Russo kind of is playing the straight woman as you kind of said like in the middle of both of them. Um, the one oh, she's so good in this scene. She's a scene stealer without saying a word. The one negative I will say about Renee Russo in this movie, I do not like her hairstyle in this movie. Can I just point that out? Is it fair to say that with any Renee Russo movie, Ben? Or do we really look at a hair, Colin? Um, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we look at a mouth. I would have thought this was one of her better hair movies. Eh, uh, you know, Thor was pretty good. She had nice hair in Thor. 
<laughs> you know? Because good for her. I just yeah. Like, just point out that Natalie Portman and Rene Russo were in a movie together, and I'm not, like, you know, being more excited. Uh, it's complete opposite. It, it really shows how Rene Russo's star has fallen. <laughs> what, that she stars <laughs> alongside Academy Award winners as opposed to Danny DeVito? <laughs> What, wait, 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 Gene Hackman's not an Academy Award winner here? I don't know. He probably was around when they were invented. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why am I being mean to these people I like? Anyway, so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fun scene. Again, I'm going to gel over it. You're, you're the one who's going to talk a lot, a lot about it more than I am. Um, I like this sort of lunch in the Ivy scene where James Gandolfini gets shoved down the stairs. It's like, you're a stuntman, right? Yeah. yeah. He gets, like, nut-shotted and thrown down the stairs. So, like, this is some of the things, though, that I was kind of getting confused with now because now all of a sudden Delroy Lindo is all like, oh, I read your script, now I want to invest in your movie. Like, he's not going to kill him by Friday. So, like, everybody wants this Lovejoy script, which mm-hmm. do we ever find out if it gets made? In Be Cool, like, um, I, th- I think there's a billboard or something like that with Tom Hanks is Mr. Lovejoy uh, that's in the background in Be Cool. So, basically, in the Chili Palmer verse... It took 10 years to get Mr. Lovejoy made. It was in development hell for that long. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a great scene in the Ivy. Um, yeah. What What's John Travolta and Gene Hackman talking about in this scene? Uh, for some reason, I cannot recall. I'm watching it right now and they're having a deep conversation. The, the key. The key. Oh, the key. Right, right, right. Okay. The key. <laughs> ben does not watch these movies. Um <laughs> So, yeah, the key, this is the whole exchange because this is basically, yeah, you're right. So, um, Delroy Lindo has explained about the whole key situation. Like, I will invest in your movie. Here's the key. Uh, go get Chili Palmer to collect it because clearly they know the Fed's going to get there. And because Gene Hackman's kind of dumb, he doesn't buy into it. John Travolta automatically knows. And, oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> You know what's funny? I just muted myself to avoid doing the same thing on mic. <laughs> Why don't we edit these things out? Um, <laughs> seriously, no wonder nobody buys our T-shirts. Uh, now available on Tea Republic. <laughs> Get your Russo estimate. Teepublic.com slash OZN. <laughs> uh, I've had like four hours sleep in the last 48 hours, so I am a little bit tired. Um, fuck, I don't know. There's a locker. Don't go get the money. Uh, Bet Midler shows up. Now... Colin, I've got a confession to make. Am I wrong for finding Bette Midler attractive in that one-piece lingerie thing? Because there's something very appealing about her opening up that thing. uh, Okay, so it's Bette Midler. So you immediately sort of look at her and you're like, oh, that's Bette Midler. But then you almost want to like it. So I kind of get what you're saying. Um, Like I feel Gene Hackman there. You you know, you're like, oh, would I? Yeah, yeah. Midler, but why not? I mean, <laughs> but then you could say you had sex with Ben Midler. Like, there's a story to tell your yeah, grandkids. Exactly. Hey, kids, guess who granddad I mean, had sex with? You know, what, like 50 something years old at that point? Okay, it's no Renee Russo, but would you turn her down? Maybe not. She has a great body and she looks great in that, that lingerie piece. Yeah. So, you know. But then you're like, but it's Ben Midler. But you're like, but maybe. Get a paper bag. It's all right. Like, <laughs> Put a bag of red, she'll be all right. 
Oh, I'm so and horrible. I think it's, it's a weird thing. Like, it's the weird thing we talk about with, like, during the 80s. Like, we can't find Linda Hamilton attractive because <laughs> having seen those movies growing up, it's like looking at your mom, even though you realize she was, like, 20-something years old when she made that. Yeah. It's a step up with Bette Midler, too, though, because – not a step up. Technically, a step down because – this is something somebody from that time period where you're like, I was familiar with them, but they actually were as old as your mom. So a little bit weird. Was Bette Midler in Step Up, was she? I didn't realize that. <laughs> was she in Step Up for the Revenge? Was that the one she was in? <laughs> Step Up 12, this time it's personal. Step Up 27. <laughs> Step Up a higher again. Stepping up higher. Why isn't the sequel called like Step Up Higher? Like <laughs> Two Steps Up. <laughs> yeah. Two Step Up, Two Furious. Didn't you say that one last week? Um It's it's, it's like the whole I know what you did last summer. I still know what you did last summer. Don't you mean I still know what you did two summers ago? <laughs> Oceans eleven, oceans twelve, oceans like <laughs> We get it. Ha 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 ha. Funny. Um, I can't wait for Apollo 14 to come out. Well, that's actually not funny, Ben, because yeah. it wasn't Apollo <laughs> 14, Ben. Um, but as in the spacecraft, not a... The, just talk about Get Shorty. I don't know what I'm up to. Bet Midler's rocking okay. body um, is where we're up to. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a great body. She's great. Good on you, <laughs> Bet Midler. You went on... You kind of do have a weird thing for Bette Midler, I think, because this is the second time in this podcast you've talked about. She's looking pretty good as <laughs> Bette Midler, though. I'm telling you now, right? 1995, Goldmark came out. We're talking about Judy Dench being, you know, pretty all right for a woman of her caliber yeah. and age. Got to say, Bette Midler, she's got longer hair, so that 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 wins it. Sorry, Judy. You know what? It's, it's weird. I was watching um, last night. I was watching after I finished Get Shorty. Funny enough, I was watching. Um, What's the name of the sitcom that Judy Dench did with Jeffrey Palmer um, as time goes by? I was about to say two and a half men. (laughs) What? (laughs) Two and a half men with Judy Judy Dench. Dench. Jeffrey Palmer, two and a half men. Men, 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 Judy, 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 Judy. Judy, Judy, Dutch, Dutch. Judy, Judy, Dutch. Judy, Judy, Dutch, Dutch. Dutch. I really want to see a reboot now of two and a half men. Judy Dench, Judy Dench as Charlie Sheen, Jeffrey Palmer as John Cryer, two and a half men. <laughs> Having like wearing the Hawaiian shirts, always playing the piano, that freaky neighbor always coming on next door, like <laughs> sleeping around. And Danny DeVito is the kid. <laughs> <laughs> and Renee Russo is the maid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then when Judy Dench goes off at the rails and basically, you know, starts calling Chuck Lowry like a dick, they replace her with <laughs> Bette Midler. There you go. Writes <laughs> <laughs> itself, Hollywood. Oh. Get onto it. See, every week we find a way to make Hollywood better, okay? <laughs> I've cried twice in this episode now. <laughs> <laughs> get ready to cry again because I'm watching as time goes by last night which is like early 2000s Judy Dench and I'm like you know what I'd go there <laughs> <laughs> 
Have you seen the videos of the TikTok videos of Judy Dench and is it her grandson or her nephew or something like that? They no. are so funny. They are like Judy Dench is like she's kind of playing like this almost like grandma gangster woman. She's hilarious. She's so funny. It made me love her so much more. Fuck it. No, screw Bet Midler. Well, I- Get Judy Dench in one of those one pieces. Yes. <laughs> Oh, Mr. Bond. Uh, Judy Dench apparently was quoted in an interview saying, joining TikTok, it saved my life. What is this? <laughs> well, okay. I've never been tempted to use TikTok until right now. Judy Dench uses TikTok. I'm in. That's it. Can we start an Oz Network <laughs> wow, TikTok? This is, uh... <laughs> <laughs> These are her quotes. You wake up and wonder what day it is, she said. Then you wonder what date it is and sometimes what month. Then you think, what do I do today? And the prospect is, well, what is there to do today? He made me do it. I have to rehearse all those things, all those moves. <laughs> Don't just think that comes naturally. <laughs> I, I, I plan to learn every Shakespeare sonnet. I've got to about nine and there are 154. So I've got a bit of a way to go there. I've done a bit of painting and I've talked to friends and rehearsed my TikTok and done it with Sam. <laughs> Can I just point out, like... It's it's interesting in, in the day and age of cancel culture and if you say something wrong and, you know, you're this, that and everything else. Judy Dench, was she not the only person basically to defend Kevin Spacey? And yet everyone still yeah. loves Judy Dench. So good on you, Judy. Yeah, exactly. I, I like you even more yeah. because, again, I like Kevin Spacey, not what he allegedly did <laughs> as an actor, as a <laughs> someone like that. Uh, so, yeah, Judy Dench, get away with anything, Judy Dench. Good for you. <laughs> Put a wig on it. <laughs> Somehow we turned Get Shorty into Judy Dench in Two and a Half Men. <laughs> Judy Dench in Judy 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 Oh, um, two so and a half Judy's. <laughs> people got to listen to Double Oz 7 when we created the show Judy Dench Slaps People. <laughs> They'll really understand the, the potential for this woman to be a television star. She's America's got Judy. <laughs> Judy Idol. Um, the amazing Judy. The price is Judy! (laughs) Wheel of Judy! (laughs) The big Judy theory! Uh... Law and Order Special Judy Unit. (laughs) CSI Judy. (laughs) NCIS Judy. I was about to say Bones Judy. That doesn't even make sense. Judy Star Galactica. (laughs) Judy Gate SGU. (laughs) Judy of Thrones. Game of Judy. Breaking Judy. Judy bad. <laughs> Judy R. Judy anatomy. Judy. Oh, Judy's anatomy. 
Tiny Judy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't breathe. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> now, I hope you wrote all those down for T-shirts. Uh <laughs> Coming soon to tpublic.com slash <laughs> oh, oh my god. Oh well, I got my workout in for the day. That's something. <laughs> yep. Me too. Good job. <laughs> anyway, so so let's go back here a bit. Um yeah, when when the next morning, uh <laughs> Harry to Gene Hackman. <laughs> Seriously, I'm lost in this episode. Yes, Judy to, <laughs> Judy to Gene Hackman. Let's go with Judy to Gene Hackman. There she is. Hello, Judy. Welcome to Get Shorty. Good to have you. Uh, <laughs> I, do you want me to mute myself? Um, <laughs> what are you? Never have I asked that before, ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to the story here. Um, <laughs> I might have to mute myself. Episode over. <laughs> bye, bye. Okay. Number one, moving on. Next bye. week, Judy Nedgeman. <laughs> <laughs> um, so <clears throat> when Gene Hackman is explaining the plot here um, about having lost the money and needing the money for Mr. Lovejoy and stuff like that. I, I love Travolta where uh, he says, you know, Mr. Lovejoy, what is it? A gay porno? <laughs> Two gay porno things back to back we've had here. Um, and yeah, then they start talking about wanting Martin Weir for the movie. And this is where he had the line. It's like, Oh, his best role where he's played the gay guy who climbed <laughs> Mount, Mount Whitney. <laughs> uh, also before he shows him the script, because uh, the scene coming up, which is probably my second favorite scene in the movie. My favorite scene is when Chili goes to the airport, which is coming up. My second favorite scene in the movie is where he's bringing, you know, Delroy Lindo in. And it's supposed to be Chili taking command here. It's like, okay, I want them sitting in these chairs. I want the sun shining in their eyes. You know, I keep the blinds open. I don't want you to introduce me. And then Gene Hackman's so dumb. He's like, but if I don't introduce you, they're not going to know who you are. And he goes, that's the point. You want them guessing. And, and it's like... Literally, he does everything wrong. Now, the only thing that kind of kills, I wouldn't say it kills this scene, but uh, the sequel, Be Cool, when I heard about what the plot was going to be for the book, because the book came out after the movie Get Shorty, when I heard what the plot was, that it was Chili getting involved in the music industry and basically leaving movie behind, I remember being disappointed because wanting to see more of Chili in the movie industry. And then when I saw the movie, I got why they did something different, because this character, it's supposed to be about this character sort of, taking command in a world that he knows nothing about just because he's Chili Palmer. I, I, I could become a doctor tomorrow. You know, I'll perform open heart surgery tomorrow. That's just Chili Palmer. Uh, but what didn't work in the movie Be Cool is when they intentionally tried to duplicate scenes because this scene with Gene Hackman and keep the blinds open and don't introduce me, they literally have the exact same scene play out in Be Cool, but with Uma Thurman playing the Gene Hackman role. And it was just completely flat. Every, when they did their own original thing in Be Cool, it worked. When they tried to imitate 
things that were in Get Shorty didn't work as much. But this scene is so good. Like Gene Hackman, this is where that straight man delivery of not trying to be funny is great because you just hear Travolta say, and don't tell them who I am. And then he invites them in. He goes, here, guys, sit down. And then first thing he said out of his mouth is, this is my associate, Chili Palmer. He's going to be working with me on this project. <laughs> and Chili, you just see him just sort of roll his eyes. Like just the immediate reaction of doing everything wrong. Don't tell them about Mr. Lovejoy. Oh, I got the script right here. It's called Mr. Lovejoy. Uh, I think this is where they say something. Like, is it gay porn or whatever? Um, but uh, yeah, just Chili, his reaction, John Travolta's reaction to him, where even after they leave, where he's like, what? What did I do wrong? And he's like, maybe I didn't make myself clear. And he's like, well, I had to tell them. They asked, what was Mr. Lovejoy? Like, just, He's so stupid, but he plays it so straight that it makes it funnier. Um, yeah, I also love, like you said, that that uh, uh, scene where um, R- Rene Russo is like, what are you doing in my house again? He goes, oh, well, the door was open. Oh, so you broke in my house to apologize for breaking my house? Well, the door was open. I mean, you really shouldn't do that. He has very nice things here. It's, it's great. Also, when he calls, um, when he calls his friend back in Miami, and he says, I think I'm going to be staying out here. I think I'm going to become a movie producer. He goes, what do you know about producing? Oh, I don't think the producer has to do that much. <laughs> I don't think he has to know that much. Just from observing Gene Hackman, that's his, his assessment. He doesn't need to know what he's doing. Um yeah, with Delroy Lindo, again, just the way that he, the, the difference between John Grease where he's, uh, you know, Harry, you're going to show me that money right now. And then Delroy Lindo is just like, tell me about this Mr. Lovejoy movie. And then the, the scene later on where you know, he walks into or he's broken into Gene Hackman's office and he's read the script on his own. And the way he's trying to go over it with Travolta saying, you know, you and me, we we just write the script from scratch and everything. Like he's just, he's so cool too. Like there are so many actors and characters in this movie that just they ooze they live and breathe being cool and they're not even trying and like delroy lindo right up there with a travolta level in this movie for coolness uh and even just how he maintains his cool like when escobar eventually comes in later on uh but even travolta saying well what do i need you for it's like well i'm offering you my assistance and he goes well we don't need your assistance whoever just sort of walks out um the uh uh, the scene with punching her in the face. Okay, let's, so let me clarify. I'm not saying him punching a woman in the face is the funny part. It's the way the scene happens. It's it's Dennis Farina's delivery of this, where first he walks up and like as nice as Dennis Farina can be in this movie, he goes, "Hi, Faye. I've just been wondering, have you spoken to Chili Palmer since your husband blew up?" <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just saying something so considerately in an inconsiderate way and then after he hits her and her face is gushing blood he's grabbing her by the head is i want us to be friends Faye, and friends don't hit each other in the face now do they? he's yeah, got I mean, this sincerity this just i yeah it's great I, I agree I, I but i think like it on the same side like it, it's shocking and it's also um uh it is very menacing like it's kind of that's um yeah. like this is what i really like about dennis Farina's character is that kind of like he is a bully but He's not, like, <clears throat> admittedly, he is stupid because at the end of the movie, he's going to, you know, do a stupid thing and clearly get caught. But he he gets shit done. Like, <laughs> like he kind <clears throat> of, he still gets his way and kind of is menacing. And I'd be scared of this guy. Like, he's not just a completely yeah. bumbling buffoon idiot that you feel, you know, just is just useless at what he does. Um, I, yeah, I yeah, exactly. I think he actually, you know, he's, he's capable. He just makes a dumb decision at the end, I guess. He's he's outsmarted by a smarter man too, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, also, I want to talk about Chili's movie obsession in this movie because 
Uh, I don't think I was quite like a big movie buff at this point. You know, I would I would watch like the new movies that came out. Like if we're talking about 1995, you know, I, I couldn't go see Get Shorty in theater yet. But I was watching Batman Forever and Apollo 13 and Toy Story, you know, like I wasn't necessarily about like classic movies or stuff like that. But when I saw this movie, like I have gone out of my way to watch all the movies, most of the movies that Chili references in this movie, the movie that he goes to see in the theater, Touch of Evil with Orson Welles and Charlton Heston. Probably one of the greatest movies ever made. You know, I've seen this movie multiple times now, but I watched it because it was on TV one day. I'm like, oh, that's the movie Chili Palmer watches. Now I already had the ending spoiled for me, but still, amazing movie. Uh, and then uh, also the scene later on where he talks about um, uh, El Dorado and Rio Bravo. I went on my way to watch both of those movies because Chili Palmer referenced it too. So in a weird way, John Travolta and Chili Palmer are responsible for uh, me getting into a lot of classic movies and everything. Uh, but uh, I just love his enthusiasm too. Like, there's no scene in this movie where where Chili Palmer, I guess you could say, lets his guard down. And when you see him in the movie theater, he's not trying to be cool. He's being himself, and he's actually kind of, kind of, you know, a little bit embarrassing in ways. He's sitting there, you know, getting into the movie. Even Rene Russo sort of laughing at him because he's like this giddy little child quoting the movie. And you know, this is what I do when I watch movies. I'm sure this is what you do when we're watching the replacements. We're there quoting it like this, yeah. you know. Uh, but like he's doing this in front of other people. And even when the movie ends, he sort of taps some random stranger on the shoulders. What a great movie. Yeah. And Gene Hackman has apparently said that there is something about that scene that is like, it, it, it's like hypnotic to watch. There's something about Travolta's reaction where it was one of the most compelling scenes he'd ever seen an actor do. And all he's doing is just watching a movie. And I, I think it's also because it's so refreshing because it's not the chili Palmer you see for the rest of the movie. He's even caught off guard when he turns around and sees Rene Russo there. Um, and then her character, this is what I was saying earlier about her being the, the only one that can make this movie happen. Uh, it's not just because she was married to Danny DeVito and she's kind of the in to even Gene Hackman says here, oh, I went over to her house that night because I was going to talk to her about putting me in the same room as Martin Weir. Uh, it wasn't about that necessarily. I mean, she's the only one smart enough to realize how you're going to convince him to do this movie, you know? Uh, and she's like, I'm tired of, you know, uh, being the B movie actress. I want to have a great movie. I want to make a great movie. She says, I'm going to produce this. She has just as much confidence as Travolta does. Like she's not an idiot in any way. She is the smartest character in this movie. Uh, and just the scene where she's convincing Travolta, like their chemistry here, you, you want to talk about two actors who don't have to say anything and you, they just look like they're ready to bone each other. Like that is every scene Rene Russo and John Travolta have in this movie. And it is usually just little looks that they have, you know, or, or the way that they sort of look at each other as they're walking away in the scene. It's a perfect example of that. Uh, when they go to, uh, or, or just going back to the scene with uh, Delroy Linder when he breaks in the office, because it ties into this Rene Russo scene where you still don't realize what Travolta is, is doing with this Mr. Lovejoy movie, because he's more interested in the, his own movie idea. Uh, because Delroy Lindo asks him, what did you think of the script? And he sort of opens it and goes, well, the first thing has to go is this title. I think that the writer's name, Murray Safran, would be better than Mr. Lovejoy. And he doesn't say anything else. And then when he's talking to Rene Russo in the next scene, when they're leaving the movie theater, and she says, what did you think about the script? And he goes, well, I don't like the characters. I don't like some of the characters, and I don't like the title. And she goes, oh, you read it? He goes, well, not yet, but I intend to. <laughs> he's, he's making judgments. He's bluffing his way through this. It's just great. He, he goes to this, and he's a huge movie buff. He goes through the entire movie and never bothers to read the script. It's just great. Um, when we see Yayo at the airport, this is like two or three days into the movie. 
And he's been sitting there, not bathing, not changing his clothes for two or three days, just waiting to open this locker. I find the locker so interesting, too. That this is similar to the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. You don't need to know everything about it. We know what's in that locker. You know, it's it's money or it's drugs or whatever it is. But how it got there is kind of the mystery that this movie doesn't solve. And I don't remember if the book – I read the book you know, 20 years ago probably, so uh, I couldn't tell you everything about it. But – I, I would guess that they have some more explanation there, but it's it's more interesting not really knowing when did the, how long has the money been there? Because all that Delroy Lindo is trying to do for this entire movie is, all right, well, Yayo didn't pick it up. Let's try to get Harry to pick it up. Okay, Harry's not picking it up. Let's get Chili to pick it up. And then, you know, they turn it around. Well, let's get Barboni to pick it up. He knows whoever's opening this locker is getting arrested. Uh, so has this money been there for six months? It, 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 did they put it in two days before and then they notice all the DA agents? Like, I like the mystery of how long and why is it there? Because every purpose he has is just to set up the person who's going to that locker. And then, like you mentioned, the Yayo sort of being there two or three days, not bathing, not changing his clothes, and then looking around and he sees the bulge in everybody's ankle, <laughs> including the little kid listening to his Walkman. It's just, it's so funny. Uh, you mentioned about the carpet coming up too. So his obsession with the carpet, I mean, is it there for a character? Probably not. It's really only there to give an excuse for why people are being killed off his balcony. Uh, because he shoots Yayo cause he doesn't want him getting the blood on the carpet, but that has to set up somebody flipping over the balcony, which sets up why bear James Gandolfini's character is going to force Chili out onto the balcony in his attempt to later kill Delroy Lindo. So, all convoluted, but really the only purpose that it serves in the movie is you need an excuse to get them outside on the balcony. Look at you being um, smart. It helps when you watch the movie, especially if you've seen it like a hundred <laughs> times. But uh, another scene I just absolutely love, I mentioned with Rene Russo's performance, I'll talk about the other stuff in the scene, is where Chili and uh, Rene, when they meet Danny DeVito at his house. Uh, because A, you get the surprise of the rock star girlfriend is an old friend of Chili's. And she even says he was the one guy who didn't try to hit on me at Momo's club or whatever. So it adds an extra part to Chili's character where you realize he's actually a gentleman and you don't even have to, you know, say it or whatever. Uh, but when she is, uh, cause he doesn't recognize her right away when she s- says, Hey, do you like my hair black? And he goes, yeah, especially under the arms. Cause you realize she doesn't shave her armpits. <laughs> like just this stupid little detail they throw in for how quirky. Cause she even says, Oh, it's Martin. He doesn't want me to shave my armpits. Um, but you mentioned the painting and it's, it's more than just the painting. Like that obviously shows how, how arrogant and, and full of himself. Danny DeVito's character is. But if you watch the background of this movie, everywhere they go, it is always Danny DeVito on every magazine cover, on every billboard. You see billboards of him as Napoleon or whatever. Uh, but coming up in the airport scene, which is my favorite in the movie, like I said, where Chili's looking at the magazines and he's reading like a Newsweek or something like that or a People magazine that has him on the cover. Every other magazine on the shelf either has Danny DeVito on it or has his character's name. Like apparently the Playboy magazine in that scene has interview with Martin Weir on there. (laughs) He's just this guy that's everywhere, which is also the running gag of his autobiography. Everybody reads it on the toilet. Yeah, because we're going to see that coming up with Delroy Lindo and uh, even um, uh, when uh, Gene Hackman calls uh, Barboni here, he's reading it on the toilet. It's just this character just being everywhere. Like, you can't get rid of him. And then even in his own house, he's like, well, I I don't have the billboards up, but I'm going to have a painting of myself or a mural on the ceiling. Uh, But... The the way that this scene plays out, and the one thing I really remember from the book was the tone was different. The story, almost exactly what you get in the movie, but the tone is definitely a lot more fun in the movie. 
particularly I remember with with the Martin Weir character because Danny DeVito made this character likable in an unlikable way. Like he is an unlikable guy, but he's charming, you know. And I just remember the descriptions of him being that he was just this pompous Hollywood, you know, movie star and that nobody could stand him. And you get a little bit with the character here where even there's a scene that it's going to come up later where Rene Roos was asking, you don't like him? And he goes, no, I like him fine. It's just he's really short or whatever. Uh, but Danny DeVito played this with so much more life that I just remember reading the book afterwards and being like, oh, well, the character is actually very different in the book. Uh, but this is like Danny DeVito's one chance to shine in the movie he wanted to make. Who else is he going to play? He's not going to play Chili Palmer. You know, he'll play, you know, the the Martin Weir character and then he expands the role a little bit. But the way that he's reading him and then wanting to play the character, he's basically wanting to play Chili in the movie about Leo, the dry cleaner that's happening in the background. Uh, that scene where he's coaching him on how to be a tough guy, how to be a mobster. And he, he does the whole look at me thing, which I got to talk quickly about the look at me comment, too. Uh, I always catch myself off guard because when I'm trying to get um, Casper's attention, no, just explain here. Our, our son Casper, he's autistic. So one of the traits of autistic people is they don't make eye contact because they don't make like an actual connection face to face with a person. So it's hard to hold a full conversation with them. And looking a person in the eye, it's nearly impossible. Like if you get Casper to look you in the eye for three seconds once a month, you've won. Uh, so often if I'm trying to make sure I know he's paying attention to me, I'll be like, look at me, Casper, look at me, Casper. And every time I say that, I'm always like, oh, no, I can't say that. Like, I can't say this line anymore. It's just <laughs> it's a, a weird thing to look at me because that is like chili palmer line. And he does it so well. Just all he says is just look at me. And it means something different in every scene. When he says, look at me to Leo. You know, it's different. When he says, look at me to Gene Hackman, it's different than when he says, look at me here to Danny DeVito. It's just, it's such a great line. But like, every time I say, look at me, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I could say that anymore. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to intimidate my son here or whatever. It just reminds me uh, of Catherine Keel. The way he says, look. You, you don't think you've ever seen w- What Ke- is that? It's an Australian TV show. I haven't, no. It was in my top 50. Um, they're, they're very famous things. Look at me, I, look at mentioned- me, look at me. Like, yeah. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hilarious all right. for all but, Australians. But Chili does right it better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, when he's doing the look at me thing and he actually, he's literally telling him, I want you to look at me the way I'm looking at you. What is, you know, this telling you? And Danny DeVito's over interpreting it. And it, it's a scene that has nothing to do with the plot, but it's just, it's so good seeing these characters. And then he's saying, look at me the way I'm looking at you. And at first he gives him like this, this look and he goes, what are you telling me? You're sleepy. You want to take a nap? <laughs> he's just... <laughs> Chili's not intimidated by Martin Weir at all, the biggest movie star in the world. And again, it's just how great Travolta was in this in this role. And then the second time where he's he's like giving a mean, like a scowling face, he goes, well, it's like, now you're squinting at me. It's like, uh, he's just not getting the look at all. But this is where Rene Russo is the star of this scene. Because A, her her indifference to even having to meet with her ex-husband in the first place. And every time he's trying to kiss her on the lips, she's like suddenly turning her head or like leaning back. Oh, you know, like just trying to get away from him. It's such great physical comedy without her even being the obvious one doing the scene. And then when they're basically doing the whole look at me scene and Danny DeVito finally nails it and Chili's like, whoa, that's it. And just her expression, it's like it's hilarious at how much she's humoring him. She's like, whoa. Yeah, Whew. like go back and watch it if you can. 
it, it's it's so funny because you know already that her character can't stand this guy. It, it's just great. Um, so yeah, Renee Russo doesn't even have to speak much, and she she can be a star in this. Uh, anyways, um, Bette Midler scene. Yeah, I, I like that when she takes off her clothes. Uh, Gene Hackman, all he says is "Nice necklace, Doris." <laughs> he doesn't comment on anything else. <laughs> that's it. That's a Colin um, reply to Jamie each night. Like she comes home yeah, in his exactly. lingerie, and you're like. <laughs> Oh, you trimmed your fingernails. Okay. Change your hair? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, eyeshadow. That must be it. Okay. What are those two <laughs> things on your chest? I haven't seen them before. Yeah. <laughs> those are new, aren't they? <laughs> Just get them today. You've never noticed uh, me before. I, I'm pretty sure from from reading the book that this Bette Midler character was not even in the book. Like, maybe they mentioned her, but she's not a presence in the book. And... In a way, I think maybe just because, you know, I said I remember when this movie came out and people made a big deal about Bette Midler being in it. And now you watch it and it's not a big deal because everybody sort of eclipses her. That it almost feels if there's one knock on this movie, it almost feels too much. It feels too cameo-y, you know, like, do you get that feeling at all from her? Like this character does not need to be here. It doesn't serve the movie in any way or the story to have her there. Yeah, but it's Renee Russo. Come on. Like we want her to be there. No, no, I'm talking about I'm not talking about Renee Russo. Bette Midler. Oh, Bette Midler. Oh, right. Huh? See, I don't even listen to you anymore. Um, yeah, you're right. Like, it, it's, yeah, there's no purpose to her being there. It's just, oh, cool. Bette Midler's available. Uh, let's create a new character for her. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it it feels too obvious. But again, she's not bad in the movie. She's funny. Um, it, and the scene coming up, especially at the hospital, is great. Just when you see some of the little things with her character, that she will sleep with everybody. She's flirting with people at the hospital like hours later. Is that what that uh, means? And then the scene with where... the cops. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then the doctor and uh, the orderlies and everybody else. Um, but then the restaurant scene, like uh, just proving how dumb Gene Hackman's character is. Uh, where I think even Rene Russo says, like, even you're not this dumb, Harry. Like, they're clearly setting you up. Uh, the way that Travolto... Uh, sorry, there we go. I don't know. Oh, Edit it or don't. If it's the tone of the episode. <laughs> yeah, may as well. <laughs> um, but, uh, the way that they walk up the stairs, too. Like, it, it, Barry Sonnenfeld does not get enough credit. Maybe he gets credit for his style over substance. I don't know, but... Just the way that that the camera sort of moves around them, walking up the stairs, like Rene Russo and John Travolta look like real movie stars in this movie. And Delroy Lindo looks like a movie star. And it's not the costume. It's just the way the camera moves around them. It's so subtle. Uh, but uh, w- the, the whole thing with him, you know, grabbing by the balls and throwing it on the stairs, like, yeah, that's only the second time he commits any violence against a person in this movie. Uh, but he's admiring him at the same time. And when we get to the next scene, I think it's even better the way that they sort of turn this James Gandolfini character. Um, and uh, uh, even the, the reaction that Delroy Lindo has, like, cause I think Delroy Lindo, he's the only other guy who's as close. He's the closest thing to a chili Palmer in this movie. Cause he's not dumb. Uh, he makes a dumb mistake in this movie, but he's not dumb. And, the w- the reason that is because he responds to Chili when Chili basically says, "I'm giving you until I get my coat off for you to get out of here," and he just looks at him and says, "You don't know me. You only think you do, right?" Nobody else would talk back to Chili Palmer, and you like he carries it like you buy that he's just as dangerous. And then the scene with Escobar that's coming up, where you find out this drug lord they were making the deal with, the guy that they basically killed, you know, because he wouldn't pick up the the thing from the locker, is his nephew. Like he's in deep. So you think he'd be panicking here when they're in the back of the car with Pablo Escobar, apparently. <laughs> and um, uh, 
you know, they're basically being very friendly with him in a threatening way. Like, do you have any idea what happened to my nephew? And he goes, no, I haven't seen him in a zillion years. Oh, a zillion. Or he says, there's a zillion DE agents there. Oh, a zillion. That's a big number. (laughs) (laughs) I love Escobar. What's the actor's name again? His name is Miguel Miguel Sandoval. Sandoval. Yeah. And he's always playing characters like this, too. Like, you'll see him in other movies where he's, Jurassic you know, Park. Uh, Clear and Present Danger. Jurassic uh, Park. That was another good one. Yeah, I actually... Oh, of course, Jurassic Park. He's a digger. Everybody remembers <laughs> him. Like, like me. He's in Nine Lives. Well, Nine Lives. we better watch it then. Oh, he was in Tortilla to. Heaven. Oh, he was in Bruno. As himself. What? Is he that famous? <laughs> Did I miss the Miguel I mean, Sandoval bloody cameo? And yeah, <laughs> he was in uh, Remington but, Steel uh, as ER Doctor. I bet you Bette Midler would have hit on him too. I bet you Pierce Brosnan probably would have been hit on by him. <laughs> he was in Blow with Johnny Depp. He was in Alias with Jennifer Garner. <laughs> an alias i don't even remember him from alias he played anthony rusek in three episodes uh i'd have to see the season or something um all right well he's let's give him a month <laughs> right after Midler month. jurassic park again <laughs> yeah <laughs> exploring the hits of miguel sandoval <laughs> and ariana richards <laughs> oh that would be Martin a Ferrer. very short episode with ariana richards that would be over in a day Mazzello, we could do Simon Birch finally. We could do Bohemian Rhapsody properly. Let's, uh, let's not go crazy here. Uh, but uh, the River Wild. Yeah, it's sorry. No, oh, of course we have to do the River Wild. <laughs> we know we got to do that. Yeah, uh, but I just want to uh, end here on saying that the, the way that he he finishes with Escobar, where he um, he's being threatened by him, and instead of cowering, like. He says, you know, do you, do you understand what I'm saying or something like that? He's basically saying, if you don't find my nephew and you don't give me my money or whatever, then, you know, you're all going to die. And he goes, uh, do you understand what I'm saying? And then he just looks at me and goes, I think you speak very good English, Mr. Escobar. Like, just the way he <laughs> says that is so good. Uh, oh, love Delroy Lindo. Give him a month, too. Uh, sure. Uh, we've got a lot of months because he's only 12 in a year. You know that, right? Uh <laughs> <laughs> With movies being cancelled, we still haven't filled out 2020. True, very true. Um, we'll, we'll get on to that. Um, all right, so where were we up to? You went to the pad. Did well, you? this would be when Gene Hackman calls. Uh, right. Uh, I was going to say Del Rindo when he calls uh, Dennis Freeney, yeah. Which again, he's like just. You kind of said it before that it kind of keeps getting stupider that he's basically calling this guy to like come and like <laughs> finance my okay. Uh, but I do love the way Gene Hackman plays it though. He kind of goes a bit gangster. Like, you know, I work for blah 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 and you will listen to me and you will do as I say. Like I kinda of like the way he does that. Um the airport scene, which you say is your favorite. Uh the yep. way Travolta's just kind of I love the smile and smirks on his face he's got. Um he basically how does he get access to Locker 317? Is that ever explained? Well, I mean, he just takes Locker 317 out. Um, you know, he, he puts... He, you see him putting it in there, but there was nobody around. It's kind of in the way they play this scene where 
the crowd's wide open when he goes to locker C-17. So the feds are watching that. And of course, people have probably checked in out of that locker constantly since they've been there. So they don't think anything of it. But when he goes to retrieve it from the locker, he waits till there's a crowd so they get confused. Oh, and looking at it now, obviously, because the key's in the door, that means that it's available. Um, yeah. Yep. No, I understand. That's how lockers work. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> That's funny. Funny that. Lockers. <laughs> he pays like a kid money to put stuff in a locker um kid who's reading playboy now okay i've been to airports and uh some of you i'm sure and they well they don't generally have those type of magazines in a freewheeling airport they generally had them in a certain section of the news agency a friend told me so you know (laughs) (laughs) that's generally how they work but uh anyway this airport lax apparently is all open wheeled let's just have uh, you know, Playboy. Why is everyone so into Martin Wee's autobiography? Like, if, if Tom Cruise released an autobiography, yeah. is everyone going to be reading it? No. I mean, who's the, who's the biggest actor in 2020? Like, fucking... Who is uh, the... Rene Russo. Re, sure. Rene Russo. I mean, that's a bad example, though, because you know everyone would read Rene Russo's book. Yeah. Um, if Ariana Richards released a book tomorrow, <laughs> you and I are probably the only ones reading it. Um... That's not true. She's got lots of fans. I think it's just, it's a, it's just a fun thing in the movie about the overexposure of this actor, I think. Um, so, yeah, basically he gets arrested because uh, they think he's gone into Locker 318 when he's gone into Locker 317. Uh, Mr. Barbone has been picked up. I, the thing I also love about uh, Dennis Farina is just the way he plays his character. Like He's just such a jerk. Like The way he gets into the taxi <laughs> and he's just like, you know, Later on, he's like, take me fucking to the airport or take me fucking here. Like, he just, like, just the way he kind of, what does he say? Like, about uh, the, the limo driver or something. He's like, oh, and up here is the beach. If you want to go to the beach. It's like, I come from fucking yeah. Miami fucking beach. And you want to tell me about the fucking beach? <laughs> you think I want to see the beach? <laughs> and when do I get to see the fucking sky? And it's like, oh, well, you know, the, the sunset's the best here because of the smog. And he just, like, randomly yeah. uses that, like, again at some point. Um, <laughs> Tra- Travolta gets questioned by these guys and basically found that, you know, that he's not there. It's kind of, like, odd. Is that how police work? Like, they just get some guy and just automatically assume it's, you know? Uh, probably. Well, it's 2020, Ben. Again, subtlety. That's the subtlety of the scene. Yeah, he convinces this kid to, you know, put the bag in locker C-17 or whatever. And then when he goes to retrieve it, he's standing in front of C-18. So the feds are looking at him where they have a clear He moves over into C-17 because they don't Got him. I'll explain it later. <laughs> I'll get this movie one day, I swear. Um, Gene Hackman, meanwhile, is with Barb Bone. Um, Delroy Lindo is this when he's on the phone and Escobar shows up. Um, oh, I think I talked about that scene already. You did. Um, Collins, that. like me, he's a podcast host. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is where I just, I love randomly just the way Dennis Farina's character sucks, like bashing the shit out of Gene Hackman. Um, oh, with the phone? Yeah, the phone. <laughs> yep. Pulls out his gun. Then, uh, what's his name? John Grease, Grise comes in and gets shot yeah. and killed. Uh, and this again, just like the character of Dennis Farina, like you just kind of think he's this bumbling bully buffoon, but he, he gets shit done. He just randomly kills people and shot. Cool. And I love how but they- the look, the look on his face too. Like, people need to, to put this on a T-shirt where they're criticizing each other's guns. Yeah. And then he's like, well, what about that gun? It's always jamming you on at the wrong time. And Dennis Frieda's got, like, his mouth wide open, big smile on his face. Like, yeah, you're right. And then he just pulls the trigger. Like, it's just, it's so funny. Yeah. No, I agree with you. 
Um, Rene Russo and John Travolta have sex. There's a bed that Colin wishes he was in. Uh, what? <laughs> what? What side of the bed would you get on if uh, you had a choice there, Colin? Oh, I mean, I'd still get on the pier side, but uh. Uh, <laughs> it, it would depend on the era, let's say. So if you came home and Jamie was having sex with Pierce Brosnan, you'd get on Pierce Brosnan's side, right? <laughs> you're, that's the happy, wouldn't. <laughs> that's the happiest you've been. Jamie, you're cheating on me <laughs> with Pierce Brosnan. Wow, all my hey, Christmas is had- come at once. I had a dream last night about Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> oh, you make my dreams come true, Pierce. <laughs> you make my dreams come true. Um, uh, so we're in the hospital. Ooh. I love Gene Hackman's jaw being like wide shut. Um, the the, yeah. the guy who is the doctor here, I looked him up. He's been in lots of things. He's um, Remember in Men in Black when they pull over that guy who's like... Um, Tommy Lee Jones is talking to him. Meanwhile, Will Smith's in the background and the baby's like coming out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's that guy. Um, He's also Mm -hmm. in other things as well. Um, But so basically Gene Hackman has this murder of um, what's-his-face pinned on him, and yet for some reason he can still walk around the city and like go to the Ivy the next day for lunch. Uh, And everyone's like congratulating him like, you should have killed people beforehand. You know, you should have done this, you should have done that. Um, James Gandolfini goes... To see uh, what's his face in a dressing gown. Uh, he's always wearing yellow. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that. That Delroy Lindo is always wearing yellow. Um, oh. So there. This is kind of our first scene of Delroy Lindo kind of panicking a little bit uh, because you know he's realised he's killed like Pablo Escobar's nephew or whatever it is. <laughs> um, James Gandolfini in the and the ponytail. Sorry, just, it's it's off putting. Just just want to point that out. Um, I think it's supposed to be the. I like the scene, the the lunch scene, um, when kind of you know they're saying about Danny DeVito and kind of like you know oh he's an actor he doesn't order from the menu like he'll create his own thing and all that sort of stuff and yeah. he, he literally orders an omelet, some strawberry <laughs> drinks and then leaves because without eating yeah yep uh, and I love how they bring the omelet we kind of get a recreation of when John Travolta uh, broke into Gene Hackman's house earlier on. Uh, with Rene Russo this time around, though uh, Delroy Lindo's in the house. Um, this then leads to Delroy Lindo kidnapping Rene Russo. They go back to Delroy Lindo's house. James Gandolfini kills. Uh, the, the whole thing is that he legitimately set that up so he dies. Right? That was the purpose of that. Right? You got it. Okay, good. I'm glad I can work that out. Um, yes, yes. And then <laughs> uh, Dennis Farina shows up. Uh, John Travolta tricks him into going to get the key and then the movie ends with him about to get arrested and then it kind of I love the way it cleverly kind of cuts into them filming this movie uh, with Harvey Harvey Keitel um, because why wouldn't he be in this movie um, and then it kind of ends that somehow John Travolta has gone from being a loan shark to becoming a movie producer and I do really like the shot at the end when they kind of have the helicopter <laughs> shot and you see the movie studio and we get the really, isn't that a really famous score? Like I'm seeing here, it won a Grammy for uh, best motion picture. Uh, the, the soundtrack basically won the, you know. But well, didn't the? I, I don't even think this is comp- nominated. Not one. Sorry. I was just gonna say. I think that there's a, yeah, there's a lot of pre-existing music they use in this movie. Um, so I don't even know how much of this is the score. I think the music at the end is a real song and not even from the score. Right. Okay. 
Well, I thought I thought that, like this had a famous score, or maybe that that is a famous track that is associated with this movie. So I don't know. Um, so yes, let's get shorty again. I've drilled over a lot at the end, but um, there was money exchanged. Um, the three hundred thousand dollars basically. Um, where did that end up? He gave it to Barbone. No, yes, he did. No, he gave it to. Fuck, you explain. I can't even remember. <laughs> Okay, I'll talk about the soundtrack later. Because well, let's talk about the soundtrack now. Because I do love this soundtrack, and I remember when this movie came out, it was like you'd see the soundtrack. You know, uh, remember? Well, you worked in a music store. You would probably know this, right? Uh, but you used to have like the wall where they would show their best-selling CDs, like the yep. top ten CDs, and you could actually see the countdown on the wall. Yep. I remember this soundtrack at least here in Winnipeg. Every music store you went into, people were buying the Get Shorty soundtrack. Um, but uh, I think that most of the music we hear in the movie is pre-existing, like, instrumental music uh, and not even necessarily original score. But it's got such a good soundtrack. Um, and uh, the, the music that plays at the, the end credits, are the, you're talking about the one that goes do-do-do-do-do, right? Uh, yep, sure. Let's go with that. I, do, I, do, I'm do, pretty do. sure there's another one. There's another one that may play in the, in the movie itself that I'm, I've heard that okay. theme before. And, again, I don't know if that's, like, a... It's a theme that is from Get Shorty, or it's just a piece that was made famous by Get Shorty. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love the soundtrack, so with you on that. Uh, the airport scene. So what I love so much about the airport scene is, is it's it's a long sequence. It has almost no dialogue, but you just see how clever. It's it's the same thing I love about you know watching James Bond uh, when he's just using his wits. Like Best examples of that would be the, um, the, the, the sequence in... Uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, for example, when uh, George Lazenby is trying to escape and he's just doing little things like ripping the pockets out of his jacket and climbing across the thing and, you know, or, or in Goldfinger when he's doing that ridiculous, like, fake elevator bit and then he's <laughs> suddenly on top, you know. Uh, it's very James Bond, what he does in this airport sequence here where he's like, because he knows he's being set up. Like, that's what was so great about the previous scene after he threw Bear down the stairs. He says, uh, uh, you know, they're setting you up, Harry. And he's like, oh, really? If they're setting me up, why did he say that you should go get the locker? He goes, you're right. They're setting me up. So he knows this going in and he's immediately got this plan, which as he ran down is get the locker next to the one that they're watching. Get somebody else to put something in the locker and then go pretend like you're taking it out of the the one that they're watching and then quickly switch so that you don't get arrested. So you can prove, yeah, they're trying to set me up or whatever. Just seeing this whole plan get played out. It's like watching a heist movie. It's great. And, and, and just the music and even Travolta, especially Travolta with the officers later as they keep watching. And he, you know, when they arrest him, he's he's feigning surprise. Like, what? What did I do? What? <laughs> it's very animated. Uh, and then when they're questioning him and they're, they're asking him like, you know, oh, what are you doing in here? Oh, you're a, I'm a movie producer. Well, would you have a, a, a union card? He goes, no, not yet. I just got into it. And he goes, well, fine. Then what are you doing at the airport? Well, my wife was flowing in from New York. And it's like, OK, well, you're from Miami. Well, I left from Miami and she went to or we got in a fight and she went to New York and then she was going to come here. But then it's like but apparently she didn't get off the plane because even when you watch him walk in there, he's taking down a flight number of a place that he can prove he would have been from and then waiting until that flight has landed so he could fake, hey, my wife didn't show up. It's like all the little things that you don't know what his plan is until the end. Uh, and just watching this whole thing play out with the kid, I'll give you 10 bucks, my wife's in the washroom, it's a present for her. And I would love 
for him to explain to these D agents or whatever why he was giving his wife a Martin Weir biography or if that's just sort of the joke. The only thing in the bag is a Martin Weir biography must be because everybody's reading the Martin Weir book. Uh, but then the way that he's talking to these cops afterwards, he goes, so what, what are you guys looking for a bomb or something? He goes, no, just something in a locker that shouldn't be there. He goes, oh, why don't you uh, get a custodian to open them all up? He goes, that's a great idea. I think we'll do that. He goes, you should. And then maybe next time you'll get the right guy. Like, it's just great. And then the scene that follows that where he's talking to James Gandolfini and he's like, I need the key back. He goes, wait, you give me a key and now you, you set a guy up and then you want the key back because the setup didn't work. And he goes, hey, I, I'm supposed to get the key. And then he's literally just standing there saying, you know, uh, you, you, you're you going to take this key off of my dead body or whatever. So he is you think he's about to get in a fight. And I guess this is the other act of violence, but he barely does anything to James Gandolfini. That's what's so great here is James Gandolfini makes a move and he gives him a light punch just in the right spot of his stomach. And, he, and he's nice to him. He's like, OK, OK, sit down easily, breathe, breathe. And then he starts talking about the movies. He's like, so you were a stuntman. How many movies were you in? Oh, you wouldn't have seen any of them. No, no, trust me. I might have seen it. Okay, no, 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 you'll never see it. And then these two guys bond and they just cut away. Um, Harry with you know, the uh, Dennis Farina character here, so good when he's on the phone trying to be Chili Palmer to him. Uh, and the line that I love the best too is where he's saying, you know, I work for Harry Zim, a major Hollywood player. He goes, never heard of him. He goes, uh, he says something like, uh, Sim, don't ask for dick. Sim tells you the way it is. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, really? So when Dennis Farina arrives and you summed up everything with that, uh, the, the limo driver scene, which is amazing. One thing to just add in there when he gets off uh, the plane and the sign says Barbone instead of Barboni. And then the limo driver is like so nice and polite. It's just great to watch Dennis Farina just be brutal to him. Or he goes, I hope you drive better than you can spell. My name is Barboni, not Barbone. <laughs> like, he's such a dick. He's great. Uh, but uh, when he goes to the office, just the, the, the difference in the attitude with uh, you can still see that like Gene Hackman is dumb enough that he thinks he still has the upper hand, but he's like fumbling all over the place. The way he's opening the blinds and closing them, which way? Was it open or closed? Open or closed? He doesn't know. Uh, and then he tries to do the look at me thing. He goes, he's like, Ray, look at me. And he goes, what <laughs> did you say? It's like, look at me, Ray. And then that's when he hits him in the face with a phone. And I love when, when Dennis Farina goes up to him and he's, don't you puke on my shoes, Harry. <laughs> and then he goes, Harry, look at me, Harry, look at me. <laughs> he's just <laughs> imitating him. Uh, yeah, just the whole setup here. Like you, you mentioned how, um, uh, you know, everybody's just congratulating him. Like, wouldn't he be arrested? It's because the, the scene is staged. I mean, if, if they were to find uh, Gene Hackman's character beaten to the point where he's got both arms in a cast, neck in a brace, and his wired uh, jaw wired shut, you know, they're going to assume it was self-defense, which I guess is the way this whole thing is supposed to be set up. Uh, and the, the, the lunchtime scene or, or breakfast scene or whatever with Danny DeVito, I, I love the same thing as you said, where he just... He, he orders everything and then he isn't there. And then the fact that Harry, who wasn't invited to this meeting, just, you know, is not knowing what movie they're talking about the whole time. He goes, who, what, what? He's thinking they're talking about Mr. Lovejoy and then them having to hold the, the thing. I always forget every time I watch this movie, I forget that Gene Hackman's written out with like 20 minutes to go. This is his last scene until the final scene of the movie. He's out of the movie at this point after he gets shot and beaten up or whatever. And this scene where he's just a completely defeated character and he realizes they're not even going to be making his movie. They're making another one. And he's trying to suck this drink through the straw. He's gone from the movie. Um, 
maybe the funniest line in the movie to me, and I think it's one of these subtle funny lines that you don't even realize is is, is most people are going to find funny, is where they realize somebody is downstairs doing exactly what Chili did earlier, turning the TV on, interrupting the middle of the night. And Chili's like, you have a gun? And she goes, no. Well, any kind of gun will do. <laughs> was, he, he thought like, no, I don't have a gun. I don't have any guns, right? Uh, and just Chili where he's like, okay, I'll go downstairs. Yeah, somebody's broken in. And then he's listening at the door and he turns with a smile on his face. Like, Sounds like Rio Bravo. <laughs> he's excited <laughs> about what the, the burglar is watching on TV. Uh, and then just his correcting of him where he, he later on, he's talking about El Dorado versus Rio Bravo. He goes, no, this guy played the drunk in this movie. John Wayne just played John Wayne in both movies. Like he, he's just, he's so cool with everything. Like, oh, gotta love him. Uh, oh, also when she was uh, talking to him about um, uh, the him, you should be an actor. Sometimes I think you're actually acting. He goes, well, you thought I was faking? <laughs> Implying the sex he was faking or whatever. Oh, oh, uh, Colin made a sex joke and I didn't yeah. get it. Well, John Travolta made a sex joke and it took me 20 years to get it. <laughs> uh, Touche. Yeah. Um, Anyways, there's another funny line here with Rene Russo's character where they're in the restaurant scene where she's uh, talking to Danny DeVito and he was saying something about, you know, I I need there to be a moral conflict about sleeping with another man's wife. And she actually just comes right out and says, oh, another man's wife that you're sleeping with. I didn't realize you had such morals, which is great. Um, uh, So when Travolta ends up, I guess Rene Russo gets kidnapped by Delroy Lindo he realizes he has to turn over the $300,000 from the dry cleaner. Uh, and then he just takes it straight to the address there. And again, just so cool. He looks at him and he says, uh, you know, I've been shot at twice or I've been shot at three times before once on by accident, and twice on purpose. It, and then he says something, it's something like, you know, uh, I'm going to be here as long as I want. It's like, I'm going to continue to be here as long as I want to just again, the confidence he has in being shot at and just saying, this is the way it is. And I, I, I still get like goosebumps every time James Gandolfini has this turn here because you don't quite see it coming. He starts punching Chili in the chest and then takes him out to the balcony. And then that's when, you know, the Delroy Lindo is like saying lay off of him. It's going to look like he got beat up, not like he, you know, uh, was shot in self-defense. And then Delroy Lindo goes over and just the way he says, how do you figure that happened? He drops the nuts and bolts. He goes, oh, you know, uh, uh, must have been an accident or whatever. It's just such a great moment like because you don't expect it. And they do slightly do this in be cool where they kind of imitate this it's not quite as effective but it's still great um and then they have the 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 dennis farina setup where he is comes in and he's got the money and chili's just playing it cool it's like well you outsmarted me ray it's in a locker at the airport or whatever uh and he goes there The, the way that they 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 cut that where dennis farina is walking up and then you know, when he turns around, it's Harvey Keitel playing Dennis Farina. The way that they reveal it's a movie within a movie is so great. Because I, I remember being disappointed when I read the book and the ending of the book was – it wasn't quite as, like, snappy as this. Yeah, that's the only way I could really put it. It's the exact same story, but just putting this tacked-on ending of we're going to cut to a movie within the movie, telling the story of the movie that you've just been seeing – it's just such a clever way of doing it. And then just Harvey Keitel being bones in the movie here. There's a cameo that I'm sure nobody was expecting at the time. Uh, it's especially funny when Harvey Keitel appears as maybe the main villain of Be Cool, playing a completely different character. So Harvey Keitel is all over the place in the movie because they even mentioned him earlier on about wanting to get him for the Mr. Lovejoy movie. 
Uh, and then, yeah, like Harry is a producer on this movie. Everybody's a producer on this. And I don't even know if you mentioned because you were cutting out there, but Penny Marshall is the director of the movie, which we find out in Be Cool is called Get Leo. Okay. You didn't notice? No. Was I meant to? I'm not saying Be Cool. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not saying be- in in Be Cool. <laughs> In Be Cool, they reveal that the title of this fake movie is called Get Me. But the final scene here where they are making the movie within the movie is Penny Marshall as the director playing herself. Right. Okay. You didn't recognize it. No. Was I meant to? Who's Penny Marshall? Who's Penny Marshall? Who's Penny Marshall? Gary Marshall. Okay. Gary Marshall who recently died. You know Gary Marshall, right? Who's Gary Marshall? Uh, Google Gary Marshall. You will look at his face. You're going to be like that guy. I mean, he's most well known as like the creator of Happy Days and the director of Pretty Woman and stuff like that. But he's an actor. He's done a ton of stuff. Penny Marshall was on the TV show Laverne and Shirley, but she's directed. Penny Marshall's directed a ton of movies. Um, Was it A League of Their Own that she directed? Uh, Sure. (laughs) Yeah. They're brother and sister who are both very famous actors who turned very famous directors. Uh. No. Does not ring a bell oh, at all. I've seen okay. He, okay, when anyway. you see a younger version of him, he was in Happy Days. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but Penny Marshall did direct A League of Their Own, yeah, and uh, several other movies. But, um, uh, yeah, very famous brother and sister duo. But it's just kind of a cool cameo they throw on the movie there. But, M- yeah. Must have yeah, been that it. famous in uh, Hobart. No, <laughs> apparently everywhere but Hobart. Well, speaking of things that haven't been heard of by anyone in Hobart, reviews of Get Shorty. Apparently, um, that was the worst segue I think I've ever done in my entire life. Uh, if only we could edit that out and do it again. But hey, guess who can't be bothered doing that? Um, this movie did well. Uh, 87% <laughs> certified fresh based on 55 reviews with an average rating of 7.8 out of 10 on Rotten Tomatoes or Tomatoes for those North American okay. people. Tip- <laughs> Tomatoes. Tom- Are you from Wyoming? Uh, Wyoming. The site's critical consensus reads, with a perfect cast and a sly twist on the usual Hollywood gangster dynamic, Get Shorty delivers a sharp satire that doubles as an entertaining comedy thriller in its own right. Uh, 82 out of 100 on Metacritic. Audiences by CinemaScore gave it a B plus on a scale of A to F. And it was also entered funnily enough, into the 46th Berlin International Film Festival. And if anyone out there who is a big Berlin International Film Festival aficionado like me, they always know that the 46th one was one of the best. So there you go. Um, I don't have any individual reviews here. Wikipedia's letting me down today, Colin Hilding. I don't know if uh, you did your research, but uh, Colin Hilding gave it two thumbs up saying, I love this movie. I watch it all the time. I always found like the single person giving two thumbs up also would be like Siskel and Ebert would give two thumbs up because there was two of them. So an individual person giving two thumbs up is just kind of arrogant. <laughs> I gave one and a half thumbs up. You know, I kind of like half put my other thumb up and then, you know, didn't know what to do with that. Um, box office wise, this was a bit of a success. 72 million just over for domestic audiences, 43 million internationally, $115 million worldwide based on a budget of $30 million. So uh, that's that's pretty good. And let's add to that, this is for an R-rated movie and this is well before R-rated movies were expected to do well. Like this was at a point where an R-rated movie, you don't want an R-rating 
because you're dooming your movie for failure. And this thing's, in terms of being an R-rated movie, a ridiculously big size hit. Which, on the grand scheme of 1995 box office, um, did not obviously rank in the top 10. But if I can... Oh, did it? Hang on a minute. What am I looking at here, Ben? Uh, no, 15th. Okay. It uh, was beaten by While You Were Sleeping. And it just beat the bridges of Madison County. Uh, Dumb and Dumber uh, released... That... You like the bridges of Madison County? That's one of your favorites? Or we... No, no, no. I was just going to say that was the, the hard R-rated version of the bridges of Madison right. County. <laughs> okay. I thought you were about to uh, reveal something there. Uh, Dumb and Dumber, which obviously was released right at the end of 1994, made $70 million. 18th, the highest ranking movie that year, of course, was Batman Forever. Jeez, good year for movies for you. Um, Ace Ventura When Nature Calls was fifth Pocahontas fourth and how was Toy Story only third Apollo 13 in second Waterworld <laughs> tenth 88 million dollars uh, there you go and just looking here Man of the House Colin 36 uh, that year made 40 million dollars oh, yep uh, it's coming a goofy movie made 35 million dollars <laughs> Uh, Rob Roy, I believe my mum used to like that movie, 54th. And oh, Liam Neeson. Operation Dumbo Drop. I used to watch the movie all the time as a kid. Uh, number 70th there. Grumpier old man, only 75th. Don't, Come on. Don't forget Patrick Swayze's Golden Globe nominee performance in Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar <laughs> at 45th. Well, coming soon, Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar month. Uh, <laughs> an entire month dedicated to us. On that movie. Uh, the weekend that it opened, it made $12 million. Beating out the other opening weekend, well, another one, that one, uh, that weekend, sorry. A movie that I actually weirdly like, Now and Then. Have you ever seen Now and Then, Colin? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I remember watching that quite a bit growing up. That was um, where you follow the young actors and then the older actors, right? The female version of uh, Stand By Me, basically, as it's often been referred to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which, um, I mean, I, I like Stand By Me, but I actually, yeah, my mum had this film and I remember I watched it with her once and I actually really enjoyed it. So there you go. Maybe we should do movies that Ben and Colin shouldn't like month, but they do, uh, <laughs> featuring Now and Then, uh, the, the girl, all-girl Stand By Me, basically. Also opening that weekend, Never Talk to Strangers, which I'm sure is good. Ah, you sounded a little too that excited about that movie. Do you need a tissue? Well, <laughs> I remember my mom was a big fan of that movie because uh, of Antonio Banderas mostly. That was Antonio Banderas, right? Sure, let's say yes, because I've never heard of that movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, looks, okay. it is. Yeah, it is. It looks like him. My mom loved him. Okay. Uh, I don't know who the woman is in that movie, but she looks like she's been held against her will. So that wouldn't fly in 2020. <laughs> uh, also opening that weekend to a measly $1 million, a very, uh, I believe, popular cult film now, Mole Rats. Uh, so that yep. didn't exactly... It only made $2 million uh, globally, globally, so only made half of its budget in one weekend. So there you go. I've never seen Mole Rats. That's a, a Jace, uh, Kev, oh, Kevin Smith film, right? Kevin Smith, yeah. Yeah. I said I forgot him before. I'm forgetting him again. Jesus, sorry, Kevin. <laughs> Good for you for wearing a hockey jersey all the time. Um, now, Colin, uh, I want to do plot keywords first because uh, I don't know if you've read the user reviews. There's only three one-star oh. ones. They are hilarious, so I'm going to say them to last. Um, I think we could do gay slur month. What do you reckon? 
Oh, yes. yes. We've been waiting for it. Featuring The Gentleman, The Sopranos, The Politician, and It, Chapter 2. Which, yep. That's what about- a one-star movie, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> what about Soul? It, Chapter 2. Oh. One-star movie. Have you written a review on IMDb? No, but uh, it, it is awful. It, it is as awful of it as it gets. It may be the worst movie I've seen in like the last five years. And you've watched the Emoji movie. Um, what about yeah, Soul Black Character Dies Cliche Month? That could be okay. That's Delroy Lindo. Let's just give him his own month. Yeah, The, the Shining, The Green Mile, Jurassic Park, and Goodfellas. Uh, I'll gladly do Jurassic Park again. Pushed Off a Balcony Month. Insurance Settlement Month. Um, that sounds pretty exciting. Imagine if we did that. Welcome everyone to the Oz Network as we get into Insurance <laughs> Settlement Month featuring The Craft, Get Shorty, The Rest of Us and the 1991 film Rush. Not uh, uh, the good Rush. I mean, that could be a good movie. I don't know. It stars Jason Patrick, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Sam Elliott and Max Perlick. All esteemed actors that deserve attention. Um, when is Max getting a month? Oh, soon, hopefully. I've been waiting. Uh, what about reference to David O. Selznick month? Possibly. Man punching a woman <laughs> month to make you happy? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ponytail month? Um, no, nah, I think we stick with hit with a telephone month because that will feature yes. Casino, True Lies, Get Shorty, and Changing la- Lanes. Um, all right. Uh, I don't know if you've got the user reviews, but uh, let's let's start off with the worst one of the three here. By CC the Movie Man, Dash One, in 2007, one star. A perfect example of how out of touch critics are. Okay. Uh, how many times have you read rave reviews, one after the other, and then seen the film and discovered it was horrible? How many critics' favourites are total bombs with the public? Answer, thousands. This is exhibit A of that. A terribly incoherent, unappealing, slimy mess of a film that did very poorly at the box office and was loved by critics, of course. Now, blah, 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 blah. The one bit here that makes CC the movie man dash one an absolute moron is this line. Renee Russo's resume says all you need to know about her hard-boiled personality and character as a human being. I don't even know what that means, CC the movie man dash one, but fuck you, all right? Fuck you. Oh, don't you dare. No, exactly. Clearly... And you can tell what type of person this guy is, or girl, don't want to discriminate. (laughs) Women can have bad opinions too. With 100 F-words and 30 blatant abuses of the Lord's name in vain, along with other comedic touches, this is real classy material. As one reviewer aptly puts it, trash culture at its peak. So this person's more offended by the Lord's name in vain, as well as the F-word? Okay, then why are you watching it? I also love, if you read earlier in the view... They are criticizing this movie for being a Tarantino wannabe movie. <laughs> and then they're offended at the uses of the F word in this movie as opposed to Tarantino. Uh, I don't think Tarantino's ever used an F word in a movie, has he? I've never heard it. So, yep. I mean, he's, he's used it probably less than he's used the N word, but still. <laughs> probably. All right. The second best of these reviews by K Houston 86 on the 5th of February 2003. The worst movie I have ever seen in a theater. Okay, they're very specific about their reviews here. Like, you know, they've maybe seen worse movies on a plane or something like that before. I don't know. I walked out of this movie to go play video games, and I never play video games. Outside, walk around, people watch, whatever. 
Anything was better than sitting through this phony, hollow piece of trash. This is without question the most overrated movie of my lifetime and the worst I have ever seen in a theatre. So uh, <laughs> I love how they have to like reference the in a theatre part. You know, I have a hard time actually believing the review of a person who gives you no details about the movie they watch. Like, did they know they were commenting on Get Shorty here? Or did they think they were commenting on It Chapter 2? I think they've just copied and pasted that, pasted that on every single movie they've ever seen. Like, if I was to click on K Houston 86's name here, they reviewed X2, The Vanishing, Back to School, The Karate Kid, The Innocents, the Pledge, Almost Famous, In the Mouth of Madness, The Fog. A lot of movies. Okay, I'm going through a lot here. Uh, one here I'm reading, Maniac, a 1980 movie. Depressing, Stupid, and Sick. Uh, <laughs> that's their headline. Um, Charlie's Angels, the 2000 film, makes me wonder what we are coming to. I'll shut up. You, I love that movie. Um, Freeway, very entertaining, with a wicked, lovable Reese Aww. Witherspoon. There you go. Um, and Triple X... Only two reasons to see it. One, to turn off your brain. Two, to fantasize about Asia Argento. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but the best review of all, and I'm going to start off with this with the headline, written by Mr. Cheeks on the 25th of September, 2003. Mr. Cheeks. Mr. The Mr. Cheeks. <laughs> Not just Mr. Cheeks, the Mr. Cheeks. The headline, what a piece of poop. <laughs> This movie... A piece of poop? A piece of poop. This movie is simply terrible. It's another one of those movies people rave about because it got a ton of hype, being it was Travolta's next big project after the success of Pulp Fiction. Travolta, in fact, didn't even want to do this picture. From its poor storyline to its really bad scenes, I couldn't hate this movie more. The worst part of this movie is, well, all of it. But anyway, the worst scene of the movie is when another mobster shows up to kill Travolta's character and is shouting and announcing himself before getting to the room Travolta's in. Travolta then shoots a shot that basically no man on earth could achieve, grazing the guy's head and leaving a bald stripe down the centre of his hair. It's a comedy, (laughs) Mr. Cheeks! Hang on a minute. This movie was so far from reality in every sense. And in capitals, only a gullible child would buy into it. Colin, you're a gullible (laughs) child. But then again, that's exactly who Hollywood has spent the last 10 years specifically catering to and targeting. Naive children with no sense of reality. Even Sonnenfeld greatly regretted making this movie before it was even finished. This movie actually Where had a point. Where are they getting this from? <laughs> Probably. Like John Travolta and Barry Sonnenfeld have done nothing but say about how this was one of the greatest things they've ever made. And this guy's just making up stories about they didn't even want to do it. Yes, because they approached John Travolta when he was literally coming off of the first hit he's had in a decade or more. And they said, we're going to put you in a movie with Rene Russo and Gene Hackman. And he's like, oh, I don't even want to do this movie. Um. Yes. Well, Mr. Cheeks, I think, is probably John Travolta or something like that. I do like uh, the end bit here. I give this film the stinker of the decade award <laughs> for movies that were supposed to be a tox bo- box office release. P.U. P.U. <laughs> <laughs> there are oh. like, let's read just the caps in this review. Starting with the title, what a piece of poop! <laughs> then... Terrible! <laughs> then, only a gullible, gullible child would buy into it. Then, stinker! Then, <laughs> P.U. I think we need to do Mr. Cheeks Month because just looking at <laughs> their reviews, Straw Dogs in capitals, the worst film I have ever seen! <laughs> 
G- How many worst films has he ever seen? G vs. E. This show kicks serious ass in capitals. Uh, Dead at 21. It was a contest that was a lie held by MTV. Okay. The Punisher. Oh, this next one makes the me angry. The Dolph Lundgren one is way better. This one smells of Hollywood BS. Um, they gave Kill Bill Volume 1 one star. Read the title. Slapstick element in martial arts fight scene makes for an awful movie. Um, this guy's a uh, cock. Yeah, I just want to point out that the first positive thing I see here is on the television show Walker, Texas Ranger. That says, <laughs> yeah, the show is really bad, but somehow I still really like it. Wow. <laughs> Mr. Cheeks. <laughs> I actually see another one for Walker, Texas Ranger. Family programming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, Pirates, Action and Comedy. It made for a good film. <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, here's another one. Cabin Fever, winner of the Worst Film of the Year Award. So for once, it's not the worst film of all time, only the year. Yep. Gattaca, 10 out of 10, running through my veins. That's all they said. Oh, I'm glad that they're they're saying that one's slightly positive because Gattaca made, I think, my top 10 list. Ne- never seen it. Um, all right. Uh, so what are we doing with this movie, Colin? <laughs> we are buying it. You don't even have a say in it. We are both buying it. I would buy it. I, I enjoyed it enough to buy it. Again, I don't know if I like it as much as you do, but, um, yeah, I, I, I would watch this movie again. It was enjoyable. It was it was funny. Um, it made us think of Judy Dench. So, <laughs> you know, that's always a positive. Uh, and I'm guessing in terms of ratings, rankings a month, this would end up as your number uno, one-o? Oh, hands down. So what is that? What is yeah, your order? Is- I haven't been keeping track of this, Colin. I would go this number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas Crown number two, Showtime number three, and Free Jack number four. Although I will say, I mean, even though we bid Free Jack, I think we said it well in the episode. I wouldn't be opposed to watching it again. <laughs> so yeah. there is nothing bad this month. Um, yeah, I'd probably stick to the same order. I would say. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it would just be Showtime and Thomas Crown that you would kind of go, oh yeah. But you know, Thomas Crown Affair was a much better movie and had Pierce Brosnan in it. So you know. Uh, that that wins it for me. So yeah, I, I I would agree with that ranking and what you said about Free Jack. So uh, there you go. It's over, Colin. How is this over? It just seemed like yesterday we were just randomly name dropping Renee Russo, and here we are at the end. Any, anything you want to add on on Renee uh, about sitting here for a month talking about her gloriously looking face, body, hair, and nails? Uh, forget her hair that you weren't a fan of in this movie. No. Um, well, I mean, her hair is just... Yeah, That's that lets Renee down. Sorry, Renee. There is no bad Renee Russo hair, let's be honest. She's got well, some of the best hair in Hollywood. I don't know if you've seen the hair uh, but all if we're over her rank- body. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> she might have a really let's ugly, like, hair. knee hair or something like that. Let's go head first, no second. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's not, please. Um, all I really got to say is, I mean, we kind of started this as a joke, <laughs> uh, semi-joke, you know, and then we realized how incredible Rene Russo's filmography is. And uh, I don't think I'm speaking only for myself to say that if we wanted to bring Rene Russo month back next year, we have more than enough material. Um, and, and I'm voting for unless everything in this year gets rescheduled for next year and we have no room in the schedule, I'm voting for 
Let's bring back Rene Rousseau up. Well, we could probably do another one this year, I reckon, at this rate. We're we probably can. Talk yeah. about that in a moment. But, um, you know, tw- fuck it. 2021 is Rene Russo year, bringing you 52 <laughs> yeah. recaps over 52 weeks. And if she doesn't have 52 movies, then we'll just go to her house and stick a camera outside and film Rene Russo reads a newspaper coming soon to the Oz Network. Absolutely. Let's do it. Which, let's be honest, would be more entertaining than a lot of movies we've ever covered on this show. So, um, <laughs> yes. Speaking of what we're covering on this show, uh, we don't know. Uh, let's be honest, because like the world, we're sort of in a holding pattern waiting for movies to be released. The, the one guaranteed one that I can tell you is coming in the next month, of course, is our Room second anniversary commentary once again. Mm-hmm. Colin, did you forget about that? That comes up in August every year. We swore that every year on the anniversary of us releasing our recap on The Room that every year afterwards we would do an episode on it and I believe we just do a commentary on it every year or are we doing something different this year or commentary's fine? I mean, if if we have no time or can't come up with anything else it might be fun to find somebody involved in the movie now that everybody's sitting at home and see if maybe they want to come on for an interview with us. Maybe we can get... uh, Let's do it. Let's let's get a commentary let's done. Do if we don't get a commentary done, we'll get an interview done. Well, I mean, we'll we'll, yes. we'll see what we can do. As you said, they're not busy. If we if we can get Mark on, like <laughs> we have won. <laughs> and how do we start that episode, Colin? Uh, <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> I'm sure he never gets that ever. I nope. want the the, and I definitely have the breast cancer woman. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> or is it Tommy the kid? Why, Tommy? Why? Um. Yeah. Oh yeah. We'll 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 find. Even if we just find like a guy that was walking past one day, like here's Nathan <laughs> who saw them filming it. Nathan, how you doing? Um. And if worst case scenario, we'll just get Tommy Wiseau on. I don't know. But well, that's coming soon. But in all seriousness, we yeah, sort of in a bit of a holding pattern at the moment. We obviously our next month well, well our next recap was going to be well is going to be Bill and Ted which we've already done part one, so I believe we're just doing part two, unless you want to do a redux and have me on part one or other way around, whatever. Whatever. I don't know. I wasn't invited on that episode, so whatever. Um, But we don't know if that will be delayed or not because things are getting constantly delayed. So that will happen if it doesn't get delayed. If it does get delayed, it will put it on hold just like with everything else. So in the meantime, we're looking at maybe doing some reviews of some Netflix movies, potentially some random recaps we've mentioned in the past, maybe just choosing, pick and choosing some movies from each of our top 50 movie episode that we did last year, Uh, kind of just randomly throw it out there. Or we might just randomly go, fuck it, let's, you know, do Titanic again because Ben said so. Nuns I don't know. on the run. Um, nuns on the run. Is that what you want to do? Uh- <laughs> nuns on the runs. Nuns on nuns bikes. Nuns on bikes. <laughs> yeah. We'll find something. But, um, yeah, stay tuned. We might. We, there might be a week or two that we just sort of have off. Um, but Total Drama Island may or may not happen. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> Uh, we are looking at doing a review of The Old Guard, which we will at least... I have seen. Colin may see it at some point. But uh, that is at least one review that we are looking at doing. But, uh, yeah, if you've got any suggestions out there, we, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Let Undercover, please message us in about eight months to let us know that you would like us to do something. But, um, yeah, we, we've got some good things planned. We've got our T-shirt store. Plug it again, Colin. You've got all the details there. 
Yes, uh, I think I have been giving um, the address slightly wrong uh, because I've been saying is tpublic.com slash OZN. It's actually tpublic.com slash user slash OZN. Oh, we've lost but, all those sales this episode until this point. Come on, Colin. Yeah. Do your job. But you can find four great Rene Russo shirts there, uh, which are all in the same style, all campaign shirts for Russo Brosnan 99, Russo... Murphy De Niro 2002, Russo Estevez 92, and then Russo Travolta 95. Which one would you pick, Ben, if you had to have a Rene Russo campaigns Ooh. for ruler of the world shirt? See, that's a tricky one. It's going to be Brosnan or Estevez. Um, so uh, I'd probably have to go with Brosnan first and Estevez, but it's a, it's a line call there. I don't know. You know, like both would make good vice presidents, Emilio and, and Pierce. <laughs> so, I mean, Rene's president, right? Like we're not, questioning oh that. it has to be yeah absolutely it is the Rene russo campaign exactly come on now people um, the man <laughs> has to be president get your mind out of the sexist gutters you bastards um that's right yeah no i'd go for one of them but i i think that it's exciting that we've got this coming up we potentially we've kept saying it a while now patreon around the corner uh 007 a james bond podcast about to launch our patreon on that so yep. testing the waters a little bit with that to see how that goes. And we realize we have a few more listeners to this show than we do over on that one. So uh, if you want to see what sort of crap we offer, then head over to www.wordpress.com <laughs> and you too could get yourself a signed photo of a James Bond actor by either myself or Colin. That's right. We will sign a James Bond actor of your choice's photo by one of us. And I can sign it as Pierce Brosnan if you want, but... I don't know what his signature looks like. And I promise I won't Google it beforehand to try and make it look real. <laughs> I will completely fake it and make it different on every single one. But uh, Total Drama Island, as I said, sporadically coming. Um, Colin, I mean, we could just do an episode talking about, I don't know, uh, what am I looking around this room right now? Uh, water bottles, if we really want no. to. Yeah. We could do an episode on um, wet socks. Sure. Water bottles and wet socks. The new spin-off by the Oz <laughs> Network. Uh, but we also see actually one we do have coming up at some point, which might be a lot longer to get to because clearly we're not pumping out the episodes as we usually do. It's our 1,000th episode because we actually, in all seriousness, are, are rapidly approaching our 1,000th episode of the Oz Network. This isn't combined with Survivor Oz. This is purely mm. on the Oz Network. So... Uh, that's a big deal. I don't. I mean, I think we reached a thousand on Survivor Oz. Surely we would have had to. Uh, if we didn't, mm-hmm. then we were very close. If we did, apologies that people put up with it for that long. But um, <laughs> we got a, you know, not nothing grandiose, uh, uh, you know, uh, organized, I guess. But something, Colin. Yeah, uh, it'll be fun. Yeah, we'll get Billy Garcia on just to celebrate the occasion. <laughs> The biggest and name. Ivan Ornelas. <laughs> and if you're lucky, Jared Lubick. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, this has been a lot of fun doing Rene Russo Month. I'm padding this out here, but uh, we definitely appreciate everybody listening in to Rene Russo Lover on Instagram. We love your work. Keep loving Rene. To Matt Dyson, we love your work. Keep listening to this month and probably no other months. I don't know what you listen to on the Oz Network. Um, to Noah, stop being racist. And to Renee, you're amazing. Thank you for being Renee and existing. You are welcome to being Renee. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, my name 
is Ben and fuck shit, fuck call, fuck shit, 911, shit, fuck, fuck shit, fuck, fuck shit. And my name is Colin, and Colin don't ask for dick. Colin tells you the way it is. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.